spoke in New Hampshire and had a big announcement saying, Tom Brady, he called today and he said, Donald, I support you. You're my friend and I voted for you. (laughs) No surprise, Brady is a Trump fan because Donald always appears to be underinflated. Shit. Even, so I have to first say how hacky the tiny hand joke is. I from Colbert made me smile. It just did it make you smile? <laughs> it did. God damn it! That's kind of upsetting. Um, the other thing, though, I don't even know what that joke means. Under what does it mean for Trump to be yeah. underinflated? Would well, he that's, be overinflated? Isn't that the insult? Because he's fat. Is that it? Or deflate gate? Well, I know it's obviously it's John. Deflate-gate. It's deflate <laughs> This is why I chose the quote because you might not know this, Alex, but our guest today was like the preeminent expert on deflate gate. Mm. Um, actually, I wanted to ask Mike about that, and we'll we'll get into it a little. Let's bit. Let's just do a Deflate Gate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I have notes prepared, anyways, like yeah. on my computer already for this. Um, but yeah, I don't even know what the fuck that joke is supposed to mean. Underinflated for Trump, I I, I have no idea. But I think it's like a general. Uh, like he's stupid. He's disparaging him just generally. Uh, yeah, it doesn't. Make he's any, just not good. It doesn't make like any. a under deflated football. Got to inflate him up. It, yeah. it, it doesn't make any sense, but. Yeah, no, I had to choose that quote. A, because we have someone who is probably one of the best New England Patriot covers in the state. And then secondly, Mike, I just, I remember your life being like dedicated to Deflategate for like four years or something. Yeah, it was, I mean, everyone hates it. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. It was very good for me. Um, <laughs> like professionally I, speaking? Or? Yes. Yeah, do you know, I, I got into it a little but um, I remember my daughter, my first daughter was, a baby and my wife had a migraine in the the transcript of the appeal hearing with Goodell came out. Mm. And so I was holding a baby in one hand and it was, the document was like four pages in one, the PDF. (laughs) And so you had to like scroll to the top left, to the bottom left, then up to the top right, (laughs) then down to the bottom to read it. So I'm there like managing a like, six month old and like reading like this and I'm like this is what my life has become but it worked out it was worth it well I just remember listening to you on like the sports hub or something like that and it sounded like you were losing your mind reading like 100 pages of legalese about this admittedly very silly thing that was mm. was going on um, but this was like so this is a quote from November 7th 2016 which is uh. the night before the election in, two, in 2016 but so it was just like I know that Brady got suspended that season which is why they're still joking about this but, like, it is crazy that the actual game in which that occurred was, like, 2014? Is that right, Yeah, the AFC, the AFC championship game. So it was January of 2015, but so like the 2014 So, like, Stephen season. Colbert, two years later, is still joking about this in a way that, like, it was so culturally prominent where everyone... It's just wild to think back on that. That's such a fascinating moment to have Deflategate and Trump election coming together in that like beautiful little moment of history that we're going to look back on and yeah. be like what the fuck was happening <laughs> well and it's like i don't i know it's your podcast and it's about music but like to like <laughs> to like really encapsulate the the idiocy of it you said it was a silly thing that was a nice way to put it it's like it was the most it was so big and everyone cared and as soon as like they won the super bowl and ended no one has ever cared about air pressure inside of footballs just as they didn't for the hundred years before that and they won't it was like this two-year window with like this is cheating this is (laughs) critical to my existence on the planet that the air pressure in the football that i know what it is and that everyone's got the same one and if they don't i'm pissed about it and then like you you've literally never heard one thing about air pressure before or since it was awesome i love it well, not going crazy though. You know, there's there's some ways some parallels between that and um, 
Matt Skiba and Blink-182 in the way mm. he, <laughs> it was all about him, and then it was who? Yeah. Well, well, that'll, we'll get into that in like an hour or 20 minutes or so. We don't, we don't talk about the uh, Skiba-182 era in my house. Well, we, you're going we'll for, to you're gonna be forced to talk about it. You're going to be forced to. It never happened. Um, but yeah, just it was funny reading that quote and then also thinking about, hey, it was cool how Tom Brady ruined like the greatest game in the history of the New England Patriots by being a Trump supporter. But not going to let Michael or force Michael to talk politics on our on our podcast as a sports journalist, considering you probably have to wade through horrible, horrible politics all the time. So I'm not going to force you to do that. But I also don't appreciate you insulting the comedic timing of my colleague, uh, Stephen Colbert, who I think is a charming comedian <laughs> and, a, and a wonderful entertainer. Right, I, forgot, I forgot you're both a member of the CBS family. I forgot. Yes, of course. Right. My bad. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, this is tonight's musical guest today, the podcast where we discuss the cultural memory and career arc of bands and artists through their late night TV show performances. Some good, some bad, always late. Welcome to the show. I'm John Hillman, and uh, with me is my good friend, Alex Beaton. Hey, John. Hello, Alex. How are you? I'm all right. Um, you, you bailed on a friend hangout yesterday. I did. Um, so I hope you're pretty rested and like ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I knew I had to do a podcast, uh-huh. so that factored into you it. You had an esteemed guest. You wanted to be like, here I all wanted the way. to show up ready to roll, Yeah, and I am. Good. Um, um, yeah. Also, just yesterday, we were talking about before, I basically almost died driving on Sturro Drive yesterday. Yeah. Getting caught in a deluge of water. No regrets uh, skipping that. Um, so yeah, I don't. I don't feel bad for you having to avoid stereo drive and, and not hanging out. So you're safe and you're here, which is great. Um, yeah, man. Only other thing, I'm going to do this again up top today. If you're listening, remember to rate, review, subscribe. I've gotten a few reviews talking about Alex's sultry voice, which is great. Is that right? Keep that up. <laughs> uh, if there's anything else you like about the show besides Alex's deep baritone voice. Let us know. That might yeah. be the only thing, but otherwise we have to keep paying people to do that. For um, us. I'm assuming you can talk about how great of a guest Mike is going to be after you listen to this. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to say that up top. Um, but we do have a lot to get to today, so maybe we shouldn't just bullshit for 20 minutes. Um, I do want to formally introduce our guest. Um, he is a writer for WCBS Boston, a contributor on WBZ Television, uh, NBC Sports Boston. He's on 98.5 The Sports Hub, probably arguing with like Fred Toucher or Michael Felger every once in a while. Um, and in my opinion, one of the only worthwhile reads on the New England Patriots uh, in, in Boston, in Massachusetts. Michael Hurley is here. Mike. Wow. How are you, man? How was that intro? Did that that uh, was awesome. Yeah. No, I appreciate that. Um, you know, it, it's it's... It's not the same covering the Patriots as it used to. So the fact that I still have some some hold in the marketplace, I hey, appreciate that. Yeah, sure. I, mean, I still I like your podcast a lot, Pat's Chat. That's one of the only Pat's podcasts I'll ever listen to. I'm into that a lot. Alex isn't wow. as much of a sports fan. Nope. Okay. Um, but we're going to bond over something very specific music-wise here up top. I think that'll Definitely. bring all three of us together. But as we look at the background of what you have on, on Zoom today, we have to point this out, first of all. You have a drum set. Mm-hmm. In the background here, Alex mm-hmm. and I both are our current drummers. And you said a little bit you were more of a former drummer. Yeah, two kids, full-time job, a lot of drive. There's just maybe during COVID when I was working at home, I, I, yeah. I rekindled. But at this point, um, very rarely do I get an hour to myself to play. But were you, exactly. in, were you in bands in high school or in your 20s or? Yeah, through high school, a little bit into college. And then, you know, kind of died. The dream kind of died. Unfortunately, we never made it big. <laughs> We all but, know um, we all know about dreams dying on this podcast, <laughs> so that's that's why we started it because all our other I dreams died. <laughs> you guys mentioned you actually played like in band. Um, I always was just in like punk rock bands, like figuring it out, like just pulling it out of my ass basically. But I was thinking like a couple weeks ago, 
like I just wish I had that like 17 year old idiotic confidence that I had. Like I remember looking at like the Boston University like Conservatory of Music and being like, I should apply. I should like I should like, <laughs> or like Berkeley. Like, yeah, it's like, buddy, you don't even know anything about about music, and you're like thinking, oh, well, I like music. I could I could probably study it in school with some like well trained musician. So I just <laughs> I don't have any confidence of anything. And back then, I was like, I could do that. So I, Which is, I, I just miss it. This is really funny because this makes me think of when I went to college. I am initially was like, I'll I'll do a music technology major. I want to be a producer. Mm-hmm. I like listening to records. I like thinking about how music sounds. And then I got there and started doing the classes and was like, computer science? The fuck? <laughs> music theory? Well, Algebra? A, like, what, what? what's happening here? I did the Why? same thing, man. Like, <laughs> late junior year of high school, applying to college. Like, I'm going to go to Berkeley. I'm going to play drums at Berkeley. Yeah. Right. And then I went to a Berkeley summer program or something. I was like, ah, I'm not good enough for this, even close to good enough. And I think I took a music theory class, like, freshman year of college. Dude, it humbled the shit at out At Wisconsin. Oh, my God. And I was like, I can't write out this. I knew how to read music. I can't write it out freehand. So, like, this is ridiculous. Well, I remember we got to the part where it's like, all right, now we're going to do the, the section on singing. And I was like, no, yep. we're not. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> it's literally like a bunch of people who are like singers, guitar players. And I'm like the drummer. And everyone's like, let's all read these harmonies and the sheet music together and stand up in front of your peers at 19. <laughs> yeah. That was Anyways, didn't end up doing that. No, no. Yeah. What kind of uh, was were the bands that you had in high school akin to the band we're, we're talking about today or? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um you know, that's what every band was in like 2002. I want to say at right. the local, the local VFW. I, I was just about to say, right, that, but yeah. we'll talk about that. But yeah, or the uh, the ICC Church in Malden type situation. Yeah. Like hell yeah, yep. we were all the same, and we were we were in there. But yeah, it's just basically crappy punk rock, some stolen riffs and and chord progressions along the way. That's how we all learned, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. What was your band called? May I ask? Uh, I would say the longest lasting one was Exit to Apathy, which we've actually actually we played on Toucher and Rich, which to me makes us more successful uh, radio airway wise. Like on like on BCN or no, no, no. On like when I was on the Sports Hub, they, oh, okay. they kept, you know, Fred, you said arguing with Fred. I don't argue with Fred. He just basically looks at me like I'm in like a microscope Petri dish. And he's like, this guy's weird, um, <laughs> which is fair. But through the course of that and then we played the song so i think like of all those bands that were like trying to make it i made it on major radio so yeah i'm pretty famous pretty successful and then behind you we have an against me poster a thrice mm-hmm. poster and the band of the day a blink 182 poster when we were first dming back and forth and i invited you on the show you did mention that thrice was like your all-time favorite yeah, Bands. but then I said you probably want people to listen to your podcast, so we should probably go a little more mainstream. <laughs> well, so I, we hey, actually thrice I, is huge. Well, man. I tried. I went through. I did find a few thrice clips, but it wasn't really enough to do like a whole episode. You know, Which there is, was like yeah, like oh three oh four. They probably had like four, exactly. and that was. I it. have a, I have a distinct memory of watching a Craig Kilborn clip of thrice playing. Whatever the single was off of Artist in the Ambulance. So, yeah. It's funny you say that. I was like, oh, immediately. I was like, oh, yeah, that, that, that Thrice clip. But, yeah, I think it's yeah. like one. No, it was great um, not to make it a Thrice podcast or a Deflate Well, you are podcast. wearing a Thrice t-shirt right now, so we might as well just get I usually, it. I, I have a concert t-shirt buying issue, so I like it's what I'm usually wearing. Welcome Sam. to the club. Yes, Welcome Sam. to the club. <laughs> um, but I've been seeing Thrice consistently, and, like, they would play the House of Blues in the past couple times, like, coming out of COVID, like, the middle floor and the the upper floor weren't even open and it was like ah. but then this last tour they did the artist in the ambulance 20th anniversary 
and the place was banged out. Like it yeah. was like it was like 2003 all over again. So I appreciated that. Cool. Um, but what I wanted to do before we kick into the band of the day was the reason that I invited you on, I reached out to you initially thinking you might actually want to do this very dumb podcast with us, is that, you know, I'd followed you on social media for a number of years because I, you know, was a fan of your work and a fan of like the sports hub and stuff like that. And I remember one day, maybe in 2017 or 2018, I just see a tweet from, from Michael that just says like, can't wait for like the Pieball show. Or I'm like, stoked to go see Pieball tonight. And I was like, what the fuck? Who's the sports journalist going to see our favorite local nothing band? Like, what is going on here? Um, and I, from that moment, I was like, oh, Michael actually is probably listens to a lot of the same shit that, that we do. Um, and I, we talked about this in the first episode, but Piebald was the band that sort of like kickstarted Alex and I's music friendship in a lot of ways. Um, Like we were the only friends that we have was like the album that we bonded with. It was the one that Alex kind of convinced me to get into local indie punk rock was that album. And to this day, it's probably my most like important favorite album of, of all time. Yeah. It's a top fiver I'd say for me. Yeah. Uh, And so I guess wanted to mention that and sort of, we have to start off by asking about like your piebald history and your piebald experience because you grew up in Arlington um, so obviously, you know, Piebald was sort of a North Shore band there from Andover, um, but a greater Boston area band. Uh, and I just needed to ask you up front, like, the, your Piebald background, because it was something that was so important to Alex and I. I don't even know, like, the origin, but I would say in high school, was we are the only friends that we have, like, 02, I want to say? Yeah, yeah. So I feel like that came, I, w- I definitely wasn't an early adopter being a young teen uh, I wasn't going to too many uh, North Shore punk shows in like 2000. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't allowed. I would say. Um, but because um, <laughs> yeah, well, you're yeah. 37 now, 38. Te- technically 37. Okay. I mean, okay. we don't. That's that's a little uncouth of you to ask. Frankly, I'm 25. <laughs> um, Try to place yeah. you in the scene, Michael. That's I graduated all. high school in 04. So okay, um, so you're 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 basically a year younger than Alex and I. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm very young. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I feel like that's when a lot of friends in high school were into it, and I got into it, and never really stopped. And I saw them in Portsmouth last winter at, like, some art space. Oh, yeah. And, like, it's just, like, there's a couple bands in art, like, Frank Turner is another one, where, like, when you leave, you're just like, I'm happy. Like, I'm just, <laughs> exactly. that yeah. was so pleasant and lovely, and I just yep. feel good. And Travis Shettle is, like, number one I've ever seen at making everyone in the room happy. He's the best. Yep, I totally agree on that take. Absolutely. It was a feel that, good band. Yeah, that was always the way they made us feel growing up. And we would go to like the Christmas show in Andover and every year and see them in Middle East downstairs. And we'll still see them probably once a year at this point. I mean, they're now they're back playing pretty consistently. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that tour last year tour, it was like three shows in like New yeah. York, New Hampshire and Boston. Um, that's the one they played. We are the only friends that we have front to back. Yes, um, that was great. Which was pretty, pretty sick. Um, all right. Well, I wanted to get that out of the way because John is also wearing a piebald shirt right now. Oh yeah, you um, can't see it on Zoom. It's cut off, but I am wearing a piebald shirt. Nice. Um, yeah. I, I guess I did subconsciously do that in the same way that Michael is wearing a thrice shirt. Yeah. Uh, I got a, uh, <laughs> a, a. I went to the Christmas show at Great Scott, like 2019. Yes, we were there. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. that oh. was like the last like. I don't know. Remember that being one of the last shows last, I saw before last COVID. pre-COVID yeah. show I saw. Yeah, yeah. It was like November, December of 2019, and I got the Charlie Brown piebald shirt, and I'm like, I appreciate that. There's just no concern about uh, copyright infringement when you're piebald. It's just not going to happen. Yeah, we have this. We have a similar uh, thing that we get to have on our show that no one listens to. We can do whatever the hell we want, so that that nice. works well. Yep. Uh, 
All right, so I guess we should jump into the band of the day, which is a little group called Blink-182, a little popular outfit called Blink-182. And when I reached out to you, Michael, um, I said, you know, we really want to have you on the show. What's a band that you want to do? And you said Thrice, and I was like, I probably shouldn't do Thrice. And then you mentioned Metallica, Foo Fighters, and Blink-182. Which I think I was must... going mainstream. Yeah, well, I yeah, I mean, that, that seems probably a good encapsulation of your musical tastes. But I guess we should start off, usually, the way we start off a lot of these shows is we'll talk about our personal experience with the group. And you being the guest of the day, I'd love to hear a little bit, very broadly speaking, because we're going to get into details, um, your, your personal experience with Blink and sort of why they became probably a very important band for you or, you know, something that you instantly will say off the top of your head. I want to talk about Blink-1 and D2. So what was that experience like growing up and how early on were you sort of on the Blink train growing up? Yeah, so we are, as you mentioned, similar of similar age. So I'm sure we had similar upbringings where, like, I was like raised on MTV basically, mm-hmm. and it was basically Sports Center and, and MTV. That was like the two channels that were my babysitter and my educator and my entertainer. <laughs> it was probably not healthy, but so I remember in like fifth or sixth grade, I got Dude Ranch just because it's like that's what you do. Like, if it's popular and you like it, you go buy the CD. I probably only listen to Damn It. Like, I'm not gonna bullshit you and be like i was a diehard blink fan at, at 12 yeah. like waggy yeah. waggy really spoke to me um <laughs> but so i mean like i had it and then i've actually admitted this part before on touch and rich so um it's not too sh- well it is shameful but at least it's been out before in like middle school i was a juggalo oh Big, shit yeah now, no, now we need to take a step yeah. back now we need to <laughs> yeah. take a step back love that i was <laughs> love i that was detail. all in like, yeah, I was oh. all in on the insane clown posse in seventh and eighth grade. I, mean, I remember that crew in middle school. I remember the yeah. I was gonna crew. say that yeah. was that was a section of probably many middle school populations. Yeah, whether it was Newton or Arlington. Yeah, so <laughs> so that happened, um, and that kind of covered up the Enema era. So like, I obviously watched MTV still and mm-hmm. like knew like all the small things and whatnot. But I wasn't like I don't even I didn't even own Enema of the State because I owned the Great Malenko. And the amazing Jekyll Brothers. I did not. Own. I never would have guessed this about you. I you were all hatchet. Yeah. You were all hatchet man and not rabbit. Exactly. Guy. Yeah. Yes. If you're not psychopathic, we're not gonna. Uh, we're not gonna get there. So, so that kind of like you joined fuzzed. the psycho circus and just <laughs> <laughs> just got on board, huh? So yeah, that fuzzed out like a couple years there. So then high school started, and I was like, well, I like girls, and I would like girls to like me. So this is over. Um, so I had like a real. Like, I would say the fall and winter of freshman year, I was, like, sort of trying to... I remember I bought a Ja Rule CD. I was really trying to find <laughs> where I was at. And mm. then that spring, I got the first two Newfound Glory albums. And then June of freshman year, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket came out. And it was, like... And it was, like... It just was, like, the connection. And it was ever since then, the whole world has opened up. And Interesting. Been, I, it's going to be interesting talking through this today that... Take off your pants and jacket was sort of like the seminal blink album for you. Yeah, and, and I saw instead them at, of Enema of the State, which right. Well, I saw them at Suffolk Downs. I don't know if you guys were at that show in two thousand one. Was it Warp Tour or no? It was we like a week before Warp Tour. Newfound Glory opened, so like they are like kind of what brought me to the sh- like. It was like the best. Imagine being fifteen, sixteen at the Newfound Glory Blink show at Suffolk Downs. Like no parents, just like twenty thousand yeah. people. Like it was, yeah. it was a, a life changing summer. So that is how I got into Blink. Um, I still do have the Dude Ranch CD. Um, so that's that you like bought, my relic. that you bought as a twelve year old. Yeah, I remember listening to it like after Little League games. So I don't know. It was nineties uh, were weird. 
there are, I have a lot of par- minus the the juggalo thing. Like if you drop in like ska, that mm. is my thing. <laughs> Where like yeah, it's just funny because I the the idea of like dude ranch and take off your pants and jacket as being the touchstones, even though Enema was the big one. I think lots of people have that relationship with their discography where they're mm-hmm. like, I got Dude Ranch and then I came back on full time with take off your pants and jacket. You know what I mean? Because they had that like moment where they just got huge and it was kind of like, ah, I'm okay on this being so huge. Um, what about you, Alex? What, what What's your blank story, if anything? So similarly, I had the Dude Ranch CD and I'm sure it was because, damn, it was on BCN. Mm-hmm. Um, bought it. Thought Tom's voice was weird. Um, <laughs> and I, I wasn't full in on like being a pop punk guy then. It was like my hard checkered ska moment. Mm. Um, and if it didn't have upstrokes, didn't have horns, I was like, I don't know if this is my thing. you know. <laughs> and I, But I have distinct memories of like listening to this in my living room. And it's funny because I was randomly... Not randomly. I was having... Um, lunch with my mom and I mentioned that we were going to do Blink-22 and she was like oh you love them you're they're one of your favorites and I was like what <laughs> because I only had like a second with like Dude Ranch and then I just like got off board yeah um, and then I do remember buying Take Off Your Pants and Jacket the CD in high school I don't remember why like what prompted me because I never owned Enema of the State still don't never really listened to it mm-hmm. like I know all the songs from it, but I never really listened to it yeah you know what it was I got the Mark Tom and Travis show the live CD mm. That's what it was. I got that, which I think is actually better versions of a lot of those songs. Um, I agree. Also, not representative of them live, as we will see when we watch these videos. <laughs> I never. I actually didn't listen to that one. Is it better than the videos or worse? Much better. Okay. Oh, okay. it's it's. There were actually like disputes about whether it was recorded. It's heavily. Oh, okay. It's heavily okay. doctored. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think. I wouldn't really look at that as like a good live document. We have plenty of live documents to talk about, today. <laughs> right? And that and that doesn't look like or sound like that. So yeah, um, I don't know how much they redid or what. I mean, but, it's pretty normal for the bands like this to do a lot of post on those live recordings. Yeah, it also just, but it also was a moment where you got to really hear a lot of stage banter because there's like right that was the whole thing. About Twenty that minutes album. at the end of just them talking. The Mark, Tom, and Travis show. I think it it took Travis and just put him like front and center. Like there was yes. so much Travis that. Maybe the drumming aspect of it drew people like us in because it's like, well, this guy kicks ass. Like, yeah. Maybe when like you listen to all the small things, like you're not really tuned into what the drummer's doing, but that definitely elevated it to a new level. Right. Is he doing more stuff on the songs themselves? Yeah. He's a little bit. He's filling. Like all the songs are ending (laughs) with Travis. Like, like we'll get into later in the show. He wasn't quite just soloing in the middle of the song uh, on live TV, which was the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, but uh, it was just, it was way more prevalent. Yeah. 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 He, yeah and it also made, I mean, I think that's also kind of was like the three of us mattered, like Mark, Tom, Travis. Do you know what I mean? It really like set that of like, we're this trio. You need to know all our names, just our first name, you know? Right. Um, also, he plays everything really fast on that record. Like yes, uh, don't leave me. Which is, is interesting. So fucking fast. One of my notes yeah. here on one of the videos here today is it was impressive how Travis doesn't do that yeah. on some of these late night clips on the more like oh if you listen to the Mark Tom and Travis like yeah, yeah. It, specifically what? don't leave me which I was like I love this fucking song and I heard the album version and was like what yeah right. this shit is well, lame I, like being a fifteen year old drummer trying to play along I was like I'm never going to be as good as this guy because there's just like the first vo- verse is just a bass drum and in the album it's like but in the live version it's like. 
Oh yeah. And I'm like, I'm like, I can't do it. I'm sorry. Like we're going to skip this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think trying to emulate Travis as a 15 year old drummer would be a lost cause for most. We people. have touched on my idiotic confidence uh, as a team though. So <laughs> I had no issue doing it. Um, very briefly for me. I, I'm I picturing mean, you in like <laughs> juggalo makeup. <laughs> <laughs> Listening. <laughs> Try to play along. Trying to, play along to, <laughs> trying to play along to don't leave me. <laughs> Someone just walks yeah. in, being like, "What the hell is this guy's deal? What's going on?" And here? then slowly, this guy's just going ta- to Berkeley, and just taking the makeup <laughs> off at the end, being like, "I must change." <laughs> yeah. um, Sorry, John. Go ahead. No, no, yeah. no. I just I very quickly get across my personal thing, which is basically that this was actually a really fun one for me too, because I mean, Michael, I think we're experiencing. We did like the, a Cheryl Crow episode a couple episodes ago, which was great for us as someone who never sort of just dismissed Cheryl Crow, never really listened to her, and actually got by the end of it, we were like, "Oh, we kind of love Cheryl Crow." And for this one, I think it was weird timing, as I've talked about in like my, you know, on past episodes of, you know, I was a classic rock snob and, you know, it took me a long time, probably junior year of high school to really get into punk and pop punk and stuff like that. And so I think similar to you guys, obviously, I was raised on MTV and TRL and we've talked about that. And I probably in 99 just dismissed Blink-182. It was, I think, especially 14 years old, I was still only listening to like Hendrix and Zeppelin and The Doors. And so I just missed that moment. I think and then they, I had yeah. friends who were real. I mean, this is what something I'm nervous about today, which is we're probably have people listening to this where Blink-182 is easily their most significant favorite band of all time. And I do not have that history or experience at all. Um, and so today was really fun to actually sit down and like, I had never listened to all of Take Off Your Pants and Jacket before the past two weeks, right? Or self-titled, which we'll get into, um, et cetera. And so I, I just never really had a very passionate thing with them, except being like, yeah, they're kind of dumbasses. They're kind of they're kind of goofy dumbasses, and like the music is fine, and right. they have a certain lane that eventually I would probably like a lot in my twenties about you know our local pop punk scene and how every band in the Boston local pop punk scene sounded like Dude Ranch to an extent, like Michael referenced. Um, but yeah, it just wasn't. I just probably dismissed them, and then I moved on, and I never really put in the time or effort to understand. Yeah their evolution or their music in a way that we have now. And I'm excited to talk about it because it's much more interesting and varied than I ever would have guessed before we started doing this this week. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think Blink-182 in 99, 2000, if you were, you know, a quote unquote classic rock snob who like, you know, knelt at the altar of Hendrix and stuff, you would be like, what is this nonsense? Do you know what I mean? Right. Like that it would be, it's the most 99, 2000 thing. And they're so silly that it just, of course you just missed it. But it's just funny that I never tried to go back on it. Right. In like 2008 or something. You know what I yeah. mean? I was like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and really do the blank thing for a bit and understand it. And I was just probably like, yeah, fuck it. I'm not going to do it. Well, they, they hold an interesting space where I think a lot of like, quote unquote, punkers, you know, um, won't admit that they fucking loved Blink-182, right? They're still derided by a whole section of people as being kind of, like, dumb and immature. Yeah. Um, and so I think there's actually this, like, s- like undercurrent of people that are influenced by Blink-182 and actually, like, more people like them than actually claim to like them, if that makes any sense, you know? Well, you know what was super weird? Or maybe not weird. I observed uh, when I saw Blink in May for the first time in... I think I saw them in 03. That was probably the last time I saw them before May. Was, like, I was looking around and I was like none of these people go to rock shows like regularly like and i think that speaks to <laughs> yeah, the, like yeah, what yeah. i mentioned earlier with mtv like the Char- charlie of... baker isn't usually at a rock show these days <laughs> no which he had friggin ga like what the hell like you know how hard those were to get um but like you know i go to a lot of rock shows and you kind of know the people that go to rock shows and you look around and you're like these are just like normal people that 
I guess because it's like I really thought thought about it, and it's like MTV in the '90s was just so powerful, yeah. and like they were at the top of TRL, like when the Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, and like they weren't that level, obviously. But I feel like that connection with so many people that probably are only attached to Emma of the State. You know, like they probably didn't even get the self-titled album or forget about anything after that. So I don't know. It's just that we're like the op. We're like, well, we're so counterculture here that we're like, we're all like outside of that bubble where most of their money making fans fit, I think. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. Yeah. And you can tell that, too, when you go to a show and you're like, these people don't go to shows. <laughs> no, it's an interesting like, observation. Yeah. 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 The guy ne- the guy behind us, like, spilled his beer in this guy and just goes, you're going to buy me a new T-shirt now. It's like, I don't know, man. Like, stuff happens. Like, you're going to be all right. <laughs> buy yeah. me a new T-shirt. Spilled a beer yeah. at a concert. That's what was the happens. beer, like, filled with food coloring and stra- staining a shirt? What the hell, man? <laughs> um, it was probably Bud Light, and it just comes right out. So, I don't know. It was, uh, it was just one of those things. But I also would add, I've been, like, all in Blink the whole time. Like, I know... Uh, I learned uh, when they, you know, announced the comeback in the tour, like the self-titled, not a lot of like dude ranch fans like the self-titled. I think the self-titled is brilliant. Um, I'm even I'd, I would argue that Neighborhoods has like six or seven great tracks, which puts me in a very small minority oh fans. Yeah. <laughs> so save that take. Save Spicy. That take. Yeah. Spicy. Um, all right. And I will fight with that. But um, yeah, I've been I've been through all the way. So uh, and dogs eating dogs. Very good. Uh, 2015 ish. Right around the time of our uh, joke that you uh, opened the show. with. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, let, let's jump into a little bit about the history of the band and then jump into the, the first clip of the day. So one thing I got to do this week um, was I was like trying to dig in a little bit on like the history of the band and how they started. And I will say up first, like it was very impressive to kind of read about the maniacal dedication they had as teenagers to touring and writing and the organic way they came up in the San Diego scene. And I mean, especially thinking what Tom was 14 years old, you know, and Mark was a few few years older, 17, which I think speaks to a little bit of probably some of the gaps they experienced in the early two thousands because Mark was mature in different ways that Tom probably wasn't. Um, But I also got to read um, the book that Mark's sister Ann Hoppus wrote um, in like 2001 called Tales from Beneath Your Mom, of course. (laughs) Um, And one of the opening lines of this, they have them all. I I wanted to read this and I want to get this conversation kind of out of the way up front. This is one of the opening lines. They have them all introduce themselves. And he says, this is the opening Mark one. He says, hi, I'm Mark. I play bass and sing in Blink-182. Tom and I started the band back in 1992 with nothing but a guitar, a bass, two penises, and smiles on our faces. And Tom loves men. So this is the first opening line to the book. And I, and I just want to get this out of the way, kind of, which yeah. is like the gay panic stuff that like pervades so much of their early career and watching some of these early documentaries and be like, wow, Tom would have been canceled like 20 times over at this point. Yeah. And like none of that humor could really, I think they still could be funny. They probably just would avoid a lot of the gay panic stuff in 2023. But like, I do want to just mention that like, it is a little bit fucked up some of it, but also I also think like they used it as sort of like a, uh, a guard or like a vest to be like, this is what people when, you know, jocks would make fun of us and call us gay in high school because we were alternative kids and we're owning it and using it as a way, you know what I mean? There might've been some of that. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Some of the gay panic shit is just fucking lame and it doesn't age yeah. well at all. And right. You know, I don't know if they're embarrassed by it these days, but it was a big part of their banter and shit, you know, like all these documentaries you'd watch about, 
you know, Mark wants to fuck guys all the time, and they'd laugh, and he'd be like, well, it's not really funny to be gay. It's not a joke. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Right. I just... I- I wanted to bring that, get that conversation out of the way first yeah. because you watch some of that shit early on and you're just like, this is lame. This is, this is yeah, really fucking dumb. lame. Yeah. 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 But yeah, there is a bit of their early career being like a long gay joke. Right. Yes. <laughs> Which feels think, very 94 to 99. Well, just think about our experience in high school too. Like that was, it was sucks. calling something gay was the most normal thing in the world, which sucks. You yeah. know what I mean? So yeah. they were just a part of that. But sorry, Michael, go, go ahead. No, just certainly it's like when for the longest time, Mark, Tom and Travis show wasn't on Spotify. And I'm like, that must be intentional because if that were ever out, it would just like if people were hearing that for the first time in 2021, it would be like insane. And then it came out and nothing happened. So I guess uh, it's quite all right. But I would say like their stage banter now has just moderately shifted to like banging in your mom or your dad or your sister. <laughs> so right. they have uh, seemingly washed it out of their, uh, their yeah. practice. Yeah, they've, they've updated it for a modern, a modern taste of just fucking your mom. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is they've, just a uh, hilarious thing to say about people in their 40s. <laughs> right. <laughs> or 50s, for that matter. Yeah, yeah that's a good point. Uh, I just wanted to get that out of the way because I just watching that stuff this week. I was like, oh, God. This cringy. Exhaust. Exactly. Cringy. Just so cringy. It's tough to have that tagged on either end of every performance, you know? <laughs> it's like, right. Um, but yeah, just, you know, then, the, you know, Mark and Tom meet and they finally meet Scott Rayner, who's the original drummer at this Battle of the Bands. And it was just interesting reading some of this stuff in the book where Tom is by far the most kind of ambitious and driven one about the band, which sort of makes sense about his post-Blink career in some <laughs> Ways, but I guess the way described that, you know, he's scheduling them at every show possible. There's a story about him calling up a high school um, and saying that they're an anti-drug band with a positive message. Can I play, can we play your, you know, auditorium with all the kids in the school or whatever? And they go and play it and the principal is like, what the hell is this? Um, (laughs) This is not an anti-drug message that you're singing about. Um, And then finally, you know, they put out that that first sort of demo and then that first, and then put out Cheshire Cat. Is Buddha Um, the first demo? Yeah. And that's sort yeah. of, yeah, it's very rough. But yeah, did you, Michael, any positive feelings towards Cheshire Cats? Or is that sort of a, a Blink-182 super fan, like, staple for when they play at shows? Are they still playing Carousel and, and stuff like that? Or I think they're still playing Carousel. That might be it, though. I Like, I got it, you know, retroactively after Take Off Your Pants. Like, I, I worked my way back and obviously enjoyed it. But I was not on the train when it came out. You ever listen to that album, Alex? Yeah. Uh, M&M's and Carousel. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Carousel, for example, is one that is like rough as hell on that. And they play on the Mark Tom and Travis show. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, this is great. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think then, though, they were like, you know, just a really big local band, right? Like, I mean, they they maintained that for a while. So. Well, I don't know if you guys read the book Sellout by Dan Ozzy. He like went through all the bands blowing up. We haven't read it, but um, we had a friend who's been, oh, Adam. Who, we have a friend who's been talking about, We I've, he keeps yeah. telling us we need to read this book. I've read the cu- first couple chapters. Yeah, yeah, great. I mean, the Green Day chapter is probably the best one, the first one. But yeah. um, <laughs> as I recall, like they were like selling albums out of their trunk situation and like ran out and needed, and like the, the local stores couldn't keep it in, in stock. And that's how it sort of blew up. Yeah, they may, and also they went on tour with Pennywise on Warp Tour, like in '96, um, even before um, Dude Ranch came out. And I think I th- they were one of the first Warp Tour bit. They were very much yeah, like the yeah. beginning of Warp Tour is associated with their kind of rise. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. And I think the only thing we'll do say before we get into this, the first clip of the night is so they signed to MCA, and that's who puts out Dude Ranch. 
and just very funny note in, in the book where um, they basically sign with MCA because um, they give them complete creative control as opposed to like Interscope, which just like wants to mold them or whatever. And he says, MCA gives them complete control except for two instances, a spoof of the Macarena called Hey, Wipe Your Anus. This is going to be on dude, on dude Ranch. Hey, wipe your anus. And then wanting to put, um, I want to fuck a dog in the ass on Enema of the State. Oh, wow. These were the only two. for that for years? Like, yeah. <laughs> wow. I didn't know the backstory. <laughs> Those are the only two things that MCA was like, you are not doing that. Everything else, do whatever the hell you want. Um, Bastards. Kind of weird. I mean, those are kind of, I mean, those are the two veto points for MCA, I guess. I mean, they put out a bunch of pretty frankly fuck, frank, fucked up shit on these albums. Frankly, reasonable points to uh, make. No, that's <laughs> what they said. The book, uh, this is Blink-182 will uh, humbly concede that MCA was right on both of those counts. <laughs> right. Also, well, I, it's just funny to think about, like, years. So that, that was Dude Ranch, you said, that they couldn't get that on? It's like years in the making, and then finally, four or five years later, they're like, we finally did it, guys. We finally got it on an album. Like, we finally got the song about having sexual intercourse with a canine recorded. Which album is it on? Take Off Your Pants. It's a bonus song. Oh, it's a bonus. Okay, okay. So, like, they had three different versions, and each one had two bonus songs, and that was one. And I believe that's the one I had. It was, like, green, red, and yellow. I don't think I even heard it. Is it is it good? I would say it's very good, yes. Okay, sure. Well, there you go. High quality. It's about 48 <laughs> seconds. Uh, thumbs up. Um, gets, his, gets his point across pretty quickly. I also love the idea of Blink-182 making decisions about who they go with based on creative control. Yeah. <laughs> like, what were they doing that they, you know, beyond, beyond like, you know, a song about fucking a dog in the ass. Yeah. Like, what are they trying? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I like, mean... I don't know. They said a lot of weird, goofy shit, and they wanted to be themselves. And yeah, I guess I guess I don't know. It's just I, they just don't strike me as a band that could be molded. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When 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 a band like can be molded to me, it's like they're man. I don't want to say like they're too unprofessional to be molded. Yeah. Well, <laughs> right? CA didn't try. I guess. Yeah. I'm uh, just trying to think too. Depends was on Dude Ranch or Cheshire Cat. I think it was Dude Ranch, right? No, I don't think. I so. think it was. But I mean, it's a song about peeing your pants and wearing a diaper. So like, <laughs> right. they had established that they wanted to do the dumbest songs ever, uh, dispersed throughout their other more marketable songs. So I, 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 I agree. MCA, RCA, MCA, right MCA, yeah, right choice. That's that's interesting. <laughs> that's actually a move borrowed from No Effects, where it's like you get the dumbest fucking songs in the world, and then next to it is a super serious song. And I, I imagine No Effects is a big influence on them. But yeah, interesting. yeah. well, the Descendants. They, of they kept that up yep. too, even during yep. the the Skiba 182 era. I think. I didn't really enjoy that, like I said, but I thought built this pool. Not sure if you're familiar with that. It's like 30 seconds long. Yeah. And the only lyrics are I built this pool so I could see some naked dudes. It's like, <laughs> yes, I do remember that, which was actually pretty fucking. Funny. Yeah, it's a good. And then it ends, and it's you just hear someone be like, "Wait, is that it?" And it's like, so like they've kept it up for 25, 30 years. So credit. Um, I forgot about I built this pool. All right, let's <laughs> let's let's get into the clips. Um, so, you know, dude, ranch comes out and. Like we've referenced already, um, you know, damn it is really the thing that puts them on the national scene. And I remember even myself playing a, a version of this in band with some kid when I was 13 years old because every kid knew this guitar riff yep. growing up. Every kid knew how to play the damn it riff, which spoke a little bit to um, their accessibility and, you know, their ability to connect with people. You know, we're not very good, but like we wrote this riff and you can play it too. And I think there was something, something to that, you know. And the clip we were going to talk about right now, we're going to kick it off, is from March 17th, 1998. And they are doing damn it on 
Conan O'Brien. Can, can I bump in before you hit play? Yes. It's just right in line with what you said. Yes. You'll notice right off the bat, Tom screws up. Well, like we're going to, yes. <laughs> right I'm bat. guessing this was our first note. So um, it's like, you can, you can play it too. We can't, but you can play it. Guests are here to perform the hit single from their album, Dude Ranch. Please welcome all the way from San Diego, California, Blink 182. Yeah, I, I'm assuming this is probably the first note we have on this quote uh, clip, generally speaking, which is bat, Tom just butchers the intro to this right off the bat. Like, right off the bat. The fourth note he fucks up. Uh, which is very funny. Um, but besides Tom just butchering the intro, the other thing I noticed right off the bat here, which is Scott, this is the only clip we'll see with Scott Rayner in today, um, just has a real deer in the headlights look. Yeah. He looks so nervous on this clip, um, which I get it. He's probably like a 17 year old kid playing on Conan O'Brien. It's scary. Um, but still, he, and he's pretty good. Like, Scott is pretty good on this, yeah. but he looks nervous as fuck. Yeah. Well, it's funny. I, I just re-listen to something about someone who was, you know, a podcast host who was from the area and was really into Blink-182 pre-blow up um, and said they they saw Blink-182 play at a snowboard, you know, uh, expo or something. Uh. And they were playing at like, you know, the lodge. And I guess they were playing snowboard videos on the wall and Scott was just watching them the whole time while they were playing. Really? <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, I was like, all right. Um, but yeah, Mark. Have you ever, said, oh no, Michael, have, go. Have go. you ever encountered Scott Rayner, like Hardos? Like, oh, they were better with Scott. It's like, shut up, man. I've heard Just, it. Yeah. Uh, it's like, stop. Um, There's he, was, nine he was in some millions. band recently, actually. It was like some oh, really? like goth. Oh, I was going to ask if he ever. It did was he some, keep playing music? Not or, really. Yeah. Yeah. So, first of all, Fashion Doctor showing up. Um, it's in office, go. So. Uh, we've got a what I believe is a DIY Pennywise shirt on yeah a white white t shirt with Sharpie on Tom also homophobic joke on it I think is it what does it say I could even uh, I tried to read God, it. they I cannot not. resist <laughs> yeah. huh yeah it, it might say something about Mark I'm not sure oh okay or um, someone likes guys which is what a burn yeah, wow <laughs> um, I mean I actually think you know aside from that fuck up at the beginning I think this sounds pretty good yeah right you know like, what's notable too and this is like maybe record company i want to know why they had tom sing the chorus because it's like if you're introducing blink it's like the perfect mix like you need both of them and it's like i wonder who made that call because that might have elevated them even more because obviously mark sings the chorus on the album and i know in like mark tom and travis show tom was singing it, but it seems like right off the bat they're like no you're gonna promo this and you're both singing oh shit is that is that true mark so yeah. Mar- mark sings the chorus on the record yeah tom and tom does it on this yeah. Holy shit, I didn't even put I, that together. Yeah, I didn't even picture that myself. That, um, is, yeah. that is a good pull, Mike. I did not even and, realize that. And you, you got that shot there, that side view of them both singing. It kind of like establishes the band for the next, well, until they break up a bunch of times. But yeah, <laughs> um, that's great. I was going to say, too, like Mark sounds pretty good on this. He seems like pretty ready for prime time. Um, and, you know, this end here where they're all smiling, just short of saying, hi, mom, basically. Yeah. They, that's what they kind of the vibe they give. I also... So, also speaking of DIY things, I, I believe uh, Mark has a UL written in marker on his arm, yeah. which is for Unwritten Law, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just interesting because Unwritten Law had a little moment too, like a post blink come up where they had like a hot little MTV moment. Mm-hmm. Um, well, he gave them a shout out on Josie yep. and Dude jo- Ranch, DHC so. and UL, Dance Hall yeah. Crashers and Unwritten Law, right? So, 
um, they still had that kind of connection to the other bands they were coming up with at the time, um, which they then quickly shed by being huge, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Michael, anything else on this clip or? Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I did. I did. Mark's vocals I thought were very good because this. I hate this song just because it's like sort of like uh, the Enter Sandman type. Like there's songs that yeah. we've heard so many. Like you can't hear the notes or the chords. You just like it's just like wallpaper. Yeah. And this well, we think we might have that in the next one a little bit too. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's like every time you mention, like everyone knew the song, so it's like playing the song and drums. I'm always like, oh, is it over yet? Um, but I thought. Like the urgency of Mark's vocals, I think, stood out because now when he plays it, he's obviously older. It's more melodic. It's more paid. Right. But like what made that song great was like that urgency screaming, I'm a teenager, my life is over. Yeah. I'm sad and mad. Like I thought he nailed it there. Um, okay. yeah, there I was going to say, like, I thought Mark did sound quite good on that. And I thought it yeah. was going to be Tom is still, I'm, but Tom's, Tom is still shaky. And I guess like Michael pointed out, he doesn't even normally sing the chorus, which I didn't even fucking realize. But I, I also think, I also personally thought he's. Tom's not like, you know, crooning, but like he seems more natural in his presentation. Like it's before he really went into where are you? You know, like that right. thing. Yeah, yeah, like cool. Yeah. <laughs> He's not quite <laughs> all the way into that, you know, in this moment. This is just like I can't really sing, you right. know, but at least I'm not like overthinking it. Well, I was gonna say too, like this is a very funny exercise in a way to understand Blink One Eighty Two. And I'm sure there are plenty of hardcore fans that are like, This is the worst way to understand Blink One Eighty Two. Watching them in this sterile environment of right. late night TV show performances where, you know, I know that Blink's bad live, but the thing is it's funny that they're bad and it's good that they're bad and I they're funny on stage like they can't do any of the banter on stage there's none of that here there's none of the real as someone like michael you've been to multiple blink 182 shows this has nothing to do with blink 182 right. live and so yeah. i have to we have to admit up front it's kind of an odd exercise that we're going through today in a way to understand the band yeah. because they were probably like this is the worst way to understand blink 182 right. you well, know you, this probably <laughs> this makes me think about like having been to many pop punk shows having been in a pop punk band mm. um seeing lots of you know terrible to great bands in that setting you know when you see a good uh, like a pop punk band like blink 182 that's awesome you know you're like okay that's obviously they're they're primed to do something i don't think if you saw blink 182 on a show even at this time when they're already pretty pretty big you'd be like wow look at this professional band that has their shit together right, right? they just got elevated because they wrote really good records i feel like mm-hmm. and well, I, then I- I noted in my notes, like when Mark and Scott come in, it sounds like such ass. Like it sounds like you're in one of those basement shows. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, exactly. How'd that happened. So it, 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 I think it's just kind of like it's unfortunate that they had to all of a sudden pretend they were this like super well oiled machine as performers because they just were never, you know. Yeah. And if you think about how many times we've seen a band that is not a well oiled machine, but you're like, this was fucking great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, whether it's a local show or even a bigger band. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah. So, but you're they're not playing on Leno all the time or, you know, so. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right, let, let's go move on. So very quickly, Dude Ranch Goes Gold has another pretty big hit in, in Josie. Um, they yep. go back on Warp Tour. Um, and I guess, you know, I don't want to speak totally out of turn, but I guess it seems like the rumor was that like Scott got kicked out of the band because of his drinking. I don't know. That's not what it says that's in the, the book, story. but that's like the story you read about. Right. They wrote a whole song about it. What, what song is that? Uh, Man Overboard. It was on the Mark, Tom, and Travis ah, show. Ah, yes. That is a good song. Um, what do they say in that song? Are they just... Um, so sorry, it's over. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> generally. You're out of line and really sober is a line. So Okay. Um, yeah, it's it, a, they... it, wasn't, it wasn't the most... They're not necessarily 
deceptive songwriters, I would say. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, they didn't. They didn't. Subtlety is not their forte. Really? That's what I was trying to say. Okay, yes. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, just there's a story about they're on Snowcore, which is a winter version of the Warp Tour, which I had never heard of before reading this this quick little book by Ann Hoppus. Yeah. Um, and I guess that's, that's where that's where it came to a head and the whole band was miserable. And Travis replaces Scott on that or maybe right after that. And the legend is, is that Travis learns the entire Blink live set in 45 minutes. He learns like the 12 Blink songs in 45 minutes. I did the math. Well, I was just, like, how did you, you do just that? Have to, you just have to do this every song. <laughs> I, I guess it is. But I mean, they still have changes. You have to learn the true. changes. I mean, come but on. I guess I guess I think... Travis is the kind of guy who could just learn the form of the songs and be close enough. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I know that here is the chorus. So I'm going to do some sort of fill to go to the chorus. I know here's where the verse is, you know? Right. And he could just like, maybe it's not played exactly the same, but it's close enough. Right, right. Good enough for rock and roll. Is it? So yeah, Travis replaces Scott and then they go in to record their next record. So hold on. Can I just say? Yes. <laughs> yes, Alex. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. Were you doing something? Um, Trying to move the show along, but <laughs> fuck me, I guess. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, Dude Ranch was recorded by Mark Trombino, who was the drummer in Drive Like Jehu. Oh. Um, and he did Clarity by Jimmy World. Um, he now owns... He was the producer or engineer or both? Uh, Do you know? Producer. Oh, okay. But he was an engineer. Yeah, you know what he I mean? probably did it all for the Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, and now he has a vegan donut shop in... Portland, I think, that names donuts after bands. Huh, that's cool. Yeah. Do you know? Do you, do you remember the name of the donut shop or no? <sighs> doesn't doesn't matter. But I have there's a donut shop in Portland that like I love, and I was wondering if it's Is the it same food one. in Maine. In Maine, you're Maine, not Oregon. No, no, I'm thinking of Oregon. Oh, uh, I was thinking of Maine. Okay, you're um, thinking of the Holy Donut. I'm thinking of Holy Donut. You're thinking yes. of Holy. Potato I think donuts. I'm thinking of Voodoo Donuts. Oh, okay. No, I know Voodoo Donuts. That's I think. Him. Okay, I think that's like a very famous donut shop in Portland, Oregon. I could be wrong about that. But yes, I was thinking, Michael, you've been to Holy Donuts before? Oh yeah, potato. They're made with potatoes. Oh. I don't understand what like they're normally made of, but they taste like regular donuts to me. <laughs> like <laughs> flour, I guess. Yeah, right. Wheat. Shit. What, what is it made out of? <laughs> not my problem. It tastes good. Humans? Could it be? Well, why is it not potatoes? Not. I don't know. But the potato right. donuts at Holy Donuts are so fucking good. Also, I yeah. think I'm realizing that it's definitely not in Portland because he's from San Diego. So. Well, Just don't take anything. I whatever said he makes being, vegan donuts. Was, yeah, and he somewhere dr- on he the a west drummer coast. Drummer for Drive Like Jehu. Yes, yeah, somewhere on the west coast. Neat facts. Yeah. But Are no, this potatoes? is a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this is actually a good segue into what I wanted to mention about Enema of the State before we do all the small things, which I did want to mention Jerry Finn because he comes in for Enema of the State, and he's a mixing engineer that gets a big break as the engineer for Dookie which is like a pretty seminal sound for mid-90s pop punk, obviously. Um, he just becomes like a pioneer for this like classic punk rock guitar sound that we think of for the mid and late 90s. And the way that, you know, Mark describes him in some documentary I watched, basically like he's the fourth member of Blink-182. Like that's what we consider Jerry Finn to be. And it's just funny you listen to this album and it sounds so much better than Dude Ranch, um, just sonically. And I just think they never could have been who they were without Jerry Finn, obviously. He's just such yeah. an important person who like makes their sound what it is. Um, and this split people always talk about between the record and live and what they sound like. They do have a very distinctive on-record sound and Jerry Finn is there for Enemy of the State, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket and self-titled um, in different capacities. Um, but I just wanted to mention him because I looked up his discography of stuff he worked on. Either Unbelievable. As, it's, uh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, no, Michael, go for it. Well, no, I, I recently, like in the past year or two, I, I listened to Take Off Your Pants and Jacket, like maybe closer than I had. And I was like, the drums sound so unbelievable. 
Like I, and I think Travis has talked about it in one of those documentaries, like it would take him like six hours to set up the mics for the drums and Travis would just be waiting and like smoking and like just waiting. And then you listen to the finished product. And you're like, God damn, like I know it's just a, blink, a stupid blink One Eight Two record, but like the reason that it made billions of dollars is because of the work like that. And you're right because they were like a crappy punk rock band that was elevated to this right. Van Halen type sound. And we, it's not hard to figure out how they got there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I just wanted to mention him, and we'll talk about his death and sort of why that brings it back together and, and all that stuff. But um, yeah, just looking at his discography, I was like, oh, he's responsible for like the guitar tone that I love about 90s punk rock music yeah. is like Jerry Finn. So What's crazy, uh, I don't know how into Newfound Glory you guys are, but they had Hit or Miss was on Nothing Gold Can Stay, and then they re-recorded it for their self-titled album. That was like their big single. Um, they have a Jerry Finn version, and I don't know huh. the backstory for it, mm. And it's kind of, it kind of stinks. I don't yeah. know. Like they didn't use it. I <laughs> well, only heard it like ten years ago. So it I don't was know your own emotional connection to the original recording. Yeah, of the song, you, you know? can't mess with that. It was already established. If that if that's what I heard first, I'm sure I would have thought it was great. Um, yeah. Before we move on, one, one last thing, Alex. Well, also just that Travis shows up, right? Yes. And Travis is. You talked about it. Yeah. No, I know, but he also Opening came shot. He came out <laughs> of the Aquabats, mm. which is fucking hilarious because <laughs> he's such a serious person. Yeah. Um, and he's in. Two of the silliest bands ever, <laughs> right? Like, what's sillier than Blink-182? The Aquabats, yeah. <laughs> right? Well, maybe that's why he worked at Blink-182 to an extent. He was, what the, was yin, the yin to the yang of, of Mark and Tra- uh, Tom, you know? He but. had a name, too, because no one in the Aquabats uses their real name. It's oh, like yeah, like a nickname? Baron Von something, I think. Mm, uh, you something look, like that. You should look it up. Yeah. Um, um, but let's let's move on. Let's move to the next one. So, no, it's fine. We're, we're having fun. You having fun, Alex? Stop holding me down. Okay, sorry. <laughs> well, you'll uh, see yeah. here when you when you do hit play, which yes. you can if you want. The opening shot is Travis, which stood out to me. They're like, "Hey, this guy's in the band, and he's kind of cool to look at." Like, it's not like Scott Rayner dressed like he's going to English class in high school. Like, it's it's a whole different vibe and look. Right. Um, but yeah, you, so we're doing October fifteenth, nineteen ninety nine. It's all the small things on Leno. Yes, a terrific band from San Diego. Whose latest CD, Enema of the State, has sold over one million copies. And I'm to say, please welcome, I'll tell you later, Blink 182! Enema of the State's been out for a bit of time now, and obviously, What's My Age Again was the first. Yes, that zoom in on Travis. Yeah. Looking so cool, shirtless. Look at this guy. He has of... nine tattoos. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> He's a little crazy. Uh, but it was funny looking back on this, preparing for like, we're going to do all, because there's a lot of clips here. They do SNL, they do other things. But it is funny. This is easily their biggest hit of their career, mm-hmm. even compared to What's My Age Again or whatever. Like, this hits like number six on the Hot 100, which is like their only top 10 Hot 100 hit in February 2000. So like it takes a few few months after this, but like, yeah, this is like their biggest hit, which I guess, I don't know, it's kind of strange. I don't know why this became the biggest one. Um, right. But uh, maybe it was the video, you know. the Was vi- that the, the one where they were mocking the Backstreet Boys? Yes. That's what it was. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it was like, I feel like it was on TRL at the time of like the Bum Bum song. So it was like this, this perfect, Whoa. this perfect era of like highbrow uh, comedy, and we were all lucky enough to witness it. Though at least you, I mean, I don't know if you ever saw their ass in the "What's My Age Again" video, but that's the naked video one. Is "What's My Age Again"? Yes, right. Okay, that yeah. came out first, right. and I think this one really sealed the deal yeah. by really lampooning what was happening on MTV at the moment. Right. 
you can also tell just in this performance they're like oh we can be goofy assholes like and yes. just people will love it yeah and like combine that with and I'm, I'm stealing this from dan ozzy so i don't but like they were like boy band look they look like a boy band playing yes. punk rock and they're like mm-hmm. just acceptable enough for america to like not be turned off by not there's no like blue hair and mohawks except for maybe travis but he's the drummer he's in the back mark looks like he's in the backstreet boys and yeah, Mark like, does look so clean cut in this one, yeah. doesn't he? God, and you pretty clean cut that, guy. He is, but yeah. well, except the the 2004 clip where yeah, that one's that one's interesting. That was fake Robert. <laughs> we'll talk, yeah, we'll get but, to it. But this, it's like, oh, he's got a couple tattoos, but you know, he could walk in and get a job at the local store. Like, like they were they were acceptable in 1999, 2000 America. Yeah, I mean the baggy shorts. I mean, man, they, they really they they own baggy shorts. I forgot I forgot to mention that in Damn It, he's got where I was like, are these baggy shorts? Are these short pants? Mm. They're like they're so far down. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but that's also Mark's thing. Is like that they, I think too. Also, they came from a local place where a lot of people looked dressed like them, looked mm, like yeah. them. You know, very specific California style. And then they got huge, and everyone was like, kind of took that on. And I think it's organic for them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah. you can start to see them kind of have a look as things progress. Right. And I was just going to say on the performance itself, like this is what I referenced before a little bit. It is pretty impressive the way they nail the pace of this song. The tempo's tough. The, yeah, the tempo's tough. It's not that. It's not fast for a Blink One Eighty Two oh, song. You I would even call it slow. Yeah, I guess you could. It's like for, a ballad. Yeah, it's a ballad. Is that what you said? It's up for them. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I just thought it was impressive the way that Travis was able to really hold down the pace of that song. Um, not easy. You know, like the, yeah. and they really do groove on it in a way where I'm like, oh man, like they're on Leno, they're not nervous in that way, they're not speeding it up. Yeah. Like I thought that was pretty perf- perf- uh, impressive. And then the other thing I wanted to mention is just another big false ending. We're gonna see this almost yes. every clip today. The big false ending. They just love doing this. I and wrote that too. Tom is so lanky and goofy, running around the stage with his arms wailing about <laughs> as they do the false ending and stuff. Um, and then the only last thing I want to say, there was a little, I found a little extra interview clip of this. I don't know if you guys got to watch it or not. I added it to the Google sheet yeah, pretty late. It. But he, it's nothing that interesting. But Leno does tell this story that he says he hooked them up with a power steering hose I, <laughs> when their car broke down in LA. Like I couldn't he's like, understand that that story. I was, was like, so, what? It was so, I don't know, Michael, I'm assuming you didn't get a chance to watch this. Little, I didn't catch that. Yeah, so like it was just a minute and a half clip of them interviewing Blink, and Mark tells the story, and then Leno's like, yeah, but you know how uh, when your car broke down in LA, who was there to help out with their 66 Cadillac give you a power steering hose? And, like, and Tom is like, yeah, Jay, like, thanks for helping us out with our broken car. Why is Blink-182 calling Jay Leno? Well, I know, as you noticed, Travis had the Cadillac uh, logo right on his chest, so I'm sure that opened some things up. I feel like he was big into the Cadillac. It must time, have. So. It was just so weird. They're calling Jay Leno when they're yeah. Car I was like, down? that must that must be a manager knows somebody. Yeah, well, they must have called their manager, and the manager's like, you know who lives by here is Jay Leno. Dude loves cars. Let's yeah. get you. Let's it, get you that. Jay, hose. Was, like, Jay was probably <laughs> super fucking stoked to help out, like you know, get them off the road with a broken down car. Hose for you. Ah, yeah. <laughs> We're getting better at that. Oh, my God. Um, so I, what I wrote for this performance, so I wrote, clearly the attitude is ramped up, right? They really went into the silliness and weren't afraid to be like, look at us, dummies. Mm-hmm. Um, I also somehow felt the performance was worse. Oh, it's definitely worse. I was like, did it's they get worse. bad? Like, what happened? No, it's just Tom, it's Tom-driven. No it's offense. Tom. Because I'm like, yeah. I, think, I'm getting, I think you're a Tom guy. I'm a what, Tom guy, yeah. yeah so definitely... we have to be a little sensitive today. No, it's okay. I, I get it. Uh, uh, but there's yeah. definitely Tom guys and Mark guys, like, I think Mark guys, no, yeah. w- they went to plus 44. I was, I went to boxcar racer. 
I hung with Angels and Airwaves for a while until Ooh, it got really, really spacey. Glutton for punishment. <laughs> you know what, though? Uh, considering you're both drummers, Tom has worked with Travis Barker, Adam Willard, and now Alon Rubin is the drummer in Angels and Airwaves. Like, he has some of the best drummers in the world. Like He's True. a smart guy in that sense. Like, yeah. Man, if you have a great drummer, like you can really do some things. But yeah. um, no, I get it. All, all Tom criticisms I get. I just also love him for many of those same reasons. I understand. Yeah, this is where his pop punk voice really... Are you talking about the upcoming clip or the previous one? The one we just watched. Okay. Where carry me home, instead of being mm. home, it's carry me home. Yeah. yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like that thing where you just or the way he the way he says cool on rock show. Yeah. 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 Um, that's when it starts to really happen. That like I'm, I'm going to slur things where I just take out the first letter of some words and just kind of, which I think is because if you sing and you're like I can't hit a note directly in the middle, I slur it into the next note. Right. Mm. right which right, I right, think right, is what right. that is. I think it's an overcompensation of like I'm not good at hitting notes. Which I guess is just a normal sort of punk rock singing trick to some extent. Yes, I think in some people it originates because it's like you know like Tim Armstrong from Rancid. I think he's actually just kind of like got marbles in his mouth all the time yeah but i think this is more compensating right i say quick shout out to your freshman year music theory teacher who made you sing in front of the class it it there was clearly (laughs) some lessons learned well i mean with you yeah i mean i think i've I've also seen it in bands i've played in sure sure you know it's watching bands or yeah of course yeah like when you're in a studio and and someone who doesn't normally have to sing in a studio has to sing right through a note and then to the next one when normally you could get away with some fudging. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's hard to do. Um, okay, should we move on? Let's do it. You good, Mike? Okay. So yeah. obviously this is just a massive, massive hit um, in a way that dominates popular culture and sort of puts like pop punk onto its own genre and a platform its way it's never really been before probably in like American music popular culture. But I do think this moment of, you know, they're probably just one of the biggest bands in the world and they're touring constantly and then they get this pressure probably instantly from the label to be like, you need to record something like now and like seize upon this moment because you right. guys are the hottest band in America and there's no time. And I think that's what makes Take Off Your Pants and Jacket like pretty impressive in that sense where like they had to go right back into the studio. They had all this pressure. They're big in ways that have never been there before. And like this is, you know, this is obviously their fourth record or whatever, third or fourth record. So it wouldn't be a sophomore slump per se. But like this would be the perfect moment to have a sophomore slump record, right. and it doesn't. It's pretty good. It, it doesn't really happen, yeah. you know. And there's some funny stories from the recording of this album. Um, there's this moment where the record label basically is like, "Why don't they have any like fun summertime anthem songs?" And DeLong and Hoppus are basically like, "You want a fucking single? I'll write you the cheesiest, catchiest, throwaway fucking summertime single you've ever heard," which is a direct quote for a Mark. And he goes and writes Rock Show. Oh, and really? then Tom goes home and he writes First, First Date. Date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and those become the two big hits off the record. And I think I actually kind of like both of those songs. Me too. Um, so they aren't that I big. hate this song. Oh, here oh, we go. Oh, baby. I Let's hate the do I it. It's, Let's it's, do it. I get, I get that the riff is like, nah, 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 and it's like, it, it works. But the song's so boring. I like. I I would argue it's the worst song on "Take Off Your Pants and Jacket." Wow! Like, there's so many others. I mean, I know some aren't singles. Like online songs can't be a single, but I like all. One of my songs favorite songs. online songs is probably the best song. <laughs> yeah. well, I, I know, but you know why? Like, it couldn't be a single per se. It may be right. the third or fourth single. But right. like, I just. I guess I never so. This might be this where song. the thing happens where because I'm discovering this record for the first time in some ways um, through like 
preparing for this episode, I didn't have a lot of those hangups. And I just thought, I don't know, I had a fun time with this clip. I had a fun time with this song. Like I'm a, like we said, this might be the Mark Tom divide as well. Could like, be, you never know. You know, I, it's a very we'll, Mark. We'll never know, Michael. No, we need a, <laughs> unless you get like a psychiatrist to be the fourth man in here to like, or woman in to, uh, to really get into our headspace. I don't know. But I just, this yeah. song just seems like so like stock in sort of. Yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. But I mean, the stock from Blink-182, pretty good, you know? Yeah. Um, the only other thing I wanted to quickly mention was I just feel like this is the beginning of like the creative struggle, the Lennon-McCartney thing between yeah. Tom and and Mark, where Hoppus really wants to like keep doing Enema of the State. And I think Tom is getting a little bit bored and frustrated with like not creating something bigger and like louder and more aggressive. And I think, Or just weirder. Or just weirder, right. Yeah. And I think Mark was like comfortable with building upon Enema of the State and Tom is starting to get a little bored and like antsy, you know? Um, and I think you start seeing that a little bit here, but before we start uh, June 14th, 2001 rock show on, on David Letterman, the first single off of take off your pants and jacket. Was there anything else you wanted to say, Alex, before we, we kick off the clip? Okay. Speaking. No. Well, just that when it starts, it shows the packaging. Mm-hmm. Um, Our next guest are here to blow the roof off the dump, and this is their new CD, and it's uh, cool. Here's what I like. You open it up, look, there's a little puzzle or a game inside there. See that? <laughs> you don't get that in most CDs. You get a little puzzle. Yeah, that's great. Uh, the name of the CD is entitled uh, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Ladies and gentlemen, Blink 182. <laughs> it's funny to remember that there was a moment where CD packaging started to get interesting. Um, yeah, what I mean, so this is just the design, there's nothing else. Each song had like an icon, and oh, there were three different okay. versions. Yeah, um, it also seems like Letterman got the joke, take off your pants and jacket, like right there. He's like, Oh, I guess <laughs> the fact that he didn't mention it, I was like, What? <laughs> he says it, and then he's like, Blink, and then he just like his head goes down. He's like, I'm an idiot. Like, um, I did like Dave here kicking off this clip, so I saying the next guest here is to is here to blow the roof off the dump. <laughs> I'm just like oh, I love I love Dave I just love Dave so much if you got like this visual to me is like my youth like it's so clear yeah. like just Travis looking that way Tom looking that way the three quarters sideways hat from Tom yeah and like it's not backwards Travis, it's not sideways like, it's like at it's at like uh two o'clock right <laughs> like the pink bass like the 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 writing on the bass amp like the, yep. the, that red white and blue drum set like it's just so stuck in that time it's it's unbelievable just it's like i don't know no I'm 15 again i also think they sound great in this clip <laughs> so yeah that's what i was gonna say is that like this feels like the platonic ideal of how they should perform tom has been playing perform. it sounds like it makes sense they've been practicing they've been touring <laughs> a lot like yes this riff is sort of rote as michael referenced but like he's nailing it it sounds it's easier good. than damn it it's slightly easier than damn it i, I guess yeah maybe it is um, but it doesn't sound as easy as damn it Right. Does that make sense? It's yeah. it's not as like lizard brain dumb. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, I get that. Do you know what I mean? Hey, yeah. Can I ask you guys because you guys watch a lot of these more than I do? That's twice now. Mark drops an f bomb, and they edit out the vocals. I Are noticed the that too. Censors that just like yeah. like he sings it. It is weird. We, I, we, I had that note on uh, on damn it. I was like, it. oh, he just said the f word. Yeah. Because like, maybe it was an, maybe it was a late nineties, early two thousands thing. So we definitely have seen clips where people either just go off mic. You know, yeah. or, or they or they bring the whole the whole mix down and then bring it back. Right, like they right, They just right. cut the vocals. Yeah, yeah. it is weird. Um, but yeah, I was gonna say like this is also like an ideal Travis performance. Yes, for me, like it's a perfect mix of like interesting and playing in service of the song, which becomes sort of more of an issue. I don't know, even on Enema of the State and self titled. I don't know, but like yeah. this one, it's like 
It's in service of the song. He's super tight. He's doing some cool stuff, but I'm not like, hey, Travis, like, take it down a notch. <laughs> Which I am sometimes oh. like Travis. Actually, and quite often. Fourth, <laughs> don't forget the fourth member of Blink-182, saving the performance here, Paul Schaefer. God. Just like, they need me. <laughs> they need me here. To just completely butcher the end of the song for everyone. My I, note is, the Paul keyboards aren't great. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it, I mean, so we've talked about this before, Michael, like... And you probably know this from watching years of like Letterman clips, either in the 80s, 90s, or the CBS show. Especially in the 80s and 90s, though. Like, Letterman's band performs like all the time with these bands for whatever reason. And so it's always like if Paul can get in somehow, but I also think it's sometimes the bands are like, it'd be an honor to have Paul Schaefer join, you know? Yeah. Um, and there is a keyboard at the end of this on the yeah, record. Yeah, no, it was, it was a fitting time for him to come in. <laughs> yeah. Like, you also can't really is. hear it at all. Right. It's it's just very low in the mix, um, but Maybe it does it like, like a wind mo- organ, and it just yeah. it wasn't on the pedal the right way. I, don't I know. do like the moment though where uh, Mark sort of looks over to Paul. He's like, "Let's, you ready? Let's do this." You know what I mean? <laughs> like, gives him the little nod. It's 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 kind Let's of go, girls. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so I the interesting thing about this too, Fashion Doctor coming back into the office. Oh, um, he's back in. You guys are you got a lot of billable hours this week. He's back, yeah, baby. <laughs> um, so Mark is wearing an Atticus shirt, which is right, him, clothes him and Tom's clothing line. Tom and, will wear that in the Conan clip. Yep. And yeah. Travis is wearing Famous Stars and Straps, which is his clothing line. Mm. Um, so if there's... Didn't they start Atticus together, I thought? Uh, Mark I and Tom. Okay. Yeah. Tom, oh, Travis Tom is wearing his own yeah. line. Okay. Did I say Tom? Tom Sorry. No, I missed Tom it. was wearing a Hurley shirt, which is my company. So <laughs> much appreciated. Um, but that, I mean, that speaks to a level of fame. You know, that we're talking about a pop punk band where everyone has their own clothing lines. Like that's you know, that's right. a lot. Yeah. <laughs> did you guys did you guys ever have the Atticus music uh yes. samplers? Those were great. They well, had- I just know it as being the home of Jake Don Green Beers, Jake yep. Green Beers, Alkaline Trio, yeah. Alkaline Trio, which is like one of the first songs with their friggin' amazing drummer. Yeah. Um that they got from the Suicide Machine. So that's my Atticus. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um that is actually how I, I believe that's the first Thrice song I heard. To Awaken, Avenge the Dead was on volume two, I think. Right. And I was like, good Lord. Like, give me. And then I went out immediately and bought The Illusion of Safety, which is such a funny, like, uh, I'm old thing is how you find music through music CD samplers. But we've talked about oh, it. Oh, we've talked about it. The Newbury <laughs> yeah. Comic samplers. The, oh, yeah. You know. I, listen, I actually, to get a feel for your podcast, I listened to the Limp Biscuit version. Obviously, that's the best, I think, avenue to, to yeah, learn it is, about Yeah, podcasts. that's our, our gold star episode. Yeah. <laughs> and heard about that uh, Newbury Comic sampler. But like, those were so significant. Like, before, yeah. like, you had Napster and Kazaa, but like, you had to know what you were looking for. There the was no ska compilations I had were, were many, <laughs> numerous. Um, Anyways, thanks to Mark and Tom for the Atticus sampler because yeah. it brought me to thrice. I mean that that is I mean that's awesome. It's awesome that we would actually discover music in an organic and fun way that never yeah. will happen again because um, we're old now. And, like because we're I'll, old and dying, so that's I'll fun. see like my favorite musicians be like, oh, I love, it. and I'm like, I'm never gonna listen to that, bro. Like, sorry, <laughs> I've I'm, I've got my stuff established here. We're not. Put it on a sample. You are on a nostalgia heavy. Uh, podcast right now, Mike. Yeah, so you're true. in like the right spot. Throw it on a sampler and maybe I'll consider your dumb new band. <laughs> yeah. Send me a disc. Hand it, yeah. hand it to me in a parking lot at a concert for free and we'll talk. Yes. Otherwise, go fuck yourself with your new exactly. recommendations. Please, please go fuck yourself. Um, all right. So we actually just need, let's run into this next clip because it's still from the same record, but it's first date. We're going to do the Mar- we're going to do the Tom single now. Oh, I love this song. Now you love it. Okay. <laughs> yep. My next guest 
are here with the latest single from their album, Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. Please welcome Blink 182. So I guess the reason we you know, especially wanted to do this one, besides which I think is also another pretty good performance for all the shit Blink gets, I think this is a pretty good one. Um, not great, but pretty good. But obviously there's this whole thing. You look at right now. So Tom has a broken, looks like what looks like a broken nose, bruised eyes. Mark has another bruised eye. And Tom is, and Travis is wearing a uh, wig, like a Princess Leia blonde wig. Yeah. And you're like, right away, you'd be like, so what the hell are they, what's going on? Why are they doing this? Or what happened? You know, instantly, they're not speaking to it. It's they're just, pretty good makeup they on, look on, like on they, Tom. <laughs> right, they, look, they look like they got into a fight backstage or recently or something. Um, and we'll just, we'll talk about what happened on the back end of that. But right away, you're sort of like, oh, that's weird. What's going on? Also, like, pre-internet, like, you'd turn this on and have no idea what's going on. Exactly. You'd just be desperate for an explanation. Exactly, so, right. S- smart televisioning. You probably people, in, probably people never got an explanation. Right, they went to bed after this. Or yeah, and just went on with their lives and thought that Tom had gotten into some big fight or something. You know, like right. no one probably, if you were sixteen, probably knew what the fuck actually happened here. And they didn't really do much to pay off. <laughs> well, that's the thing we'll talk about. Well, yeah, they, they, yeah. Um, I feel bad for Mark. Like he taped his wrist. He has a microphone, and there he is, just going do 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 do. It's like this is a tough one for him. He he really he really took one for the team here, but I do love the song. So well, Mark it. is doing nothing in this performance. No. Nothing. And also I figured he Well, might, other than being a bass player. Well, he's worried, but even that he's just so low key in this one. Um I assume he must have a mic set up cuz they played they must have played a warm-up song and Mark sang on that. Is my guess on stage? Um, because he so. doesn't sing. He never uses nope. the mic on this performance. It's just sitting there. Uh, so he must have just done. Maybe they did rock show to warm up or something like. That. Or you get some some Tom improv- uh, improvisations here. He's like, check this out. I'm going to change it a little. It's like, well, eh, maybe maybe you didn't have to do that. This is a really <laughs> interesting point. I'm glad you brought up this this bridge because so on the record, this is a moment where there's like a chugga chugga part, and then that part Tom just did comes in where he's octave kind of thing yeah. exactly, and they're doing it at the same time, which is like. You normally don't hear two guitars at once on a Blink record, or doesn't? Mm. I don't know. Is that fair, Michael? I mean, it doesn't happen a yeah. lot, right? Yeah, I mean, they'll use it, obviously, but they they cover it pretty well live. I would say that you don't they don't, don't have like a, like a Green Day guy come in. Well, that's what I was going to say, which I thought was always interesting about them. They never have a touring guitarist, right? You see, all of these bands, all of these punk bands, whether you're a famous trio like Green Day, like Mike just said, right. like. It's a pretty normal thing. Like we are going to bring on a touring guitarist to fill out our sound, and especially you know early on, people will be like, "Well, Blink One Eighty Two fucking sucks live. What's an answer to that? <laughs> bring on a touring guitarist, right. fill out the sound. Tom can focus on singing more." And right. they never ever do that. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, you know. Like they they never fucked around with a touring guitarist. I thought yeah. there would have been one clip where they had one, but yeah, but no, you know. Um, but yeah, so it comes to the end here, and Coden says. <laughs> um, Travis, he looks at me, the says, way Travis is sitting in this clip is so funny to me. <laughs> look, 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 cross legs. Cross right, leg yeah. with his leg just bouncing, you know? Just uh, like, hey guys, what's up? But Coden <laughs> says, so you had a fight backstage with Martha Stewart. Is that what happened? And Tom looks so sullen and serious. And he's just like, I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. Does, does it engage with Conan I at actually all? thought it, he, he sold it pretty well. He yeah. did. Too well. That's the thing. I'll be like, Jesus fucking Christ, what the hell happened here? Yeah. Uh, but no, he doesn't 
play with the joke at all. And Conan's just like, okay, good night, everybody. You know, like, and that's it. And of course, what ends up coming is that there's a story. The label calls them the next day. Are you guys fighting? Like, did Mark punch Tom? Like, and they're just like, no, we went backstage. And as a joke, the makeup artist put us up like that. And we thought it'd be funny. And my assumption was like, maybe it was supposed to be they're fighting over Travis. Travis is a woman they're fighting over, which yes. is why he's wearing the wig. There, I read something about that where it was supposed to be. It was feeding into the fact that there were rumors that they were fighting, right? Um, and then Travis was some. There was some reason for the wig too that I'm now blanking on. It's just like I would also just to just to chime in yeah. again on their lack of subtlety. <laughs> um, it could be as simple as be like, wouldn't it be funny if we were like Martha Stewart beat us up? And like, yeah, that would be funny. And right. then that that might have been the 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 long yeah. and short of it. Yeah, maybe we've applied too much thought. It's possible. I don't know. Huh? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is there something about uh, you know a podcast devoted to talking about <laughs> late night clips that is almost overdone? <laughs> it's just, I don't know. It's just like Tom, like engage with the bit a little bit, man. Like make you're on a talk comedy talk show, like. Do something funny. I don't know. Right. You're, just, you're so dedicated like, to this. I think he was practicing his acting chops. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I am oh my very God. bothered by Fuck. this. Fuck. Michael, thank you. Because I wanted to mention this and I forgot. I wanted to mention it during Leno, which was this whole shit around like their weird gay panic and their weird relationship to sex and sexuality and stuff. Isn't it so funny that they are like featured and, perf- and are actually in American Pie in 1999? Oh, yeah. I forgot about so that. So Mutt is on the American Pie soundtrack. And they're actually in American Pie as like a band. Um, Like watching the clip of like, you know, Jason Biggs, like trying to fuck Shannon, whoever, Elizabeth, I think her name was. And they're all watching. Speaking of problematic comedic uh, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that that one's real bad. Well, that's what I was saying though. Explain the plot of that movie to a 20 year old right now. They'd be like, are you fucking serious? This was in theaters? No, that's, that's exactly what I'm saying is like, what a perfect pairing culturally in that moment. 1999 yes. to Blink-182 yes, and yes. American Pie. American Pie, one of the most like important, dominant like things I can remember from being 14 years old. Like It was so fucking big. Yes. So is Adam of the State. They're in that movie. They both have weird relationships and wow. problematic relationships to sexuality. You know, like I just remember thinking that I'd be like, oh, that is a perfect fucking pairing. Oh, that is actually a, like... Yeah, wow. <laughs> and actually, the reason I think one of the reasons I got Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was because of the song... Mutt. Mutt. No. That's, um, on Ameri- that's no. the American Pie song. Oh, oh I thought Take Off Your Pants and Jacket. The uh, second one, the second American Pie, had oh. When the Sun Goes Down oh. on oh, it. Oh, Every Time I Look For You, yeah. Yeah, Every Time I Look I For did. You. I had that CD. Yeah, and, and I think that's why I was like, oh, this is a very non-traditional Blink song. Mm. That feels more interesting than anything I've heard by them. And it's like a on a soundtrack. Tenth, tenth song on the album, I think. Something like that. And I was like, I'm going to get this. Because this shit is good. And, and then I was like, yep, this is better than I thought it, they would be. I said Mutt because I thought Mutt on the Mark, Tom, and Travis show was so much better than Mutt on Enema of the State. And mm-hmm. I spoke to that, what you mentioned earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry for that backing, tracking segue. But I just had, as soon as Michael mentioned, I was like, oh, fuck, I have to remember. Yeah. I just thought it was the... No, no, I mean, no, they are the, for a bit there, they were the American Pie of bands. Exactly, exactly. Right. Um, okay, so... At the end of 2001, um, there's this quote where Mark basically says, yeah, it felt like Blink-182 had broken up. It wasn't spoken about, but it felt over after they go on this tour. And then, of course, this leads into Boxcar Racer. So, Michael, you referenced this before. What was your what was your relationship with Boxcar Racer? Were you like in on that in like 2002? Oh, yeah. Okay. I saw them. They played like the BCN Christmas or Xmas rave 
Xmas um, Rave. Oh, nice. Xmas Rave, hell yeah. So I'm one of like very few people to see Boxcar in person. They did one tour and it was like, imagine that being 16 at that show at the Avalon and like three people back from the barrier and like Tom DeLonge is there. You know, like it was, yeah. it was unbelievable. Yeah. I love that album. I think it had so many elements that Blink was kind of dumb to not want because like bands do change and, and develop. But um I think Mark was having children or a child at the time. And so that's why he wasn't in. And then Travis wasn't even supposed to be in it. But then Tom was like, I need a badass drummer. Yeah. I mean, I know I, a badass drummer. I Travis. do wish Tom had the tact to be like, I probably shouldn't have Travis do this. Right. Right. You know, like, yeah. it, like from a way to present to Mark, it's like, I'll do this and it's going to be a whole thing. But like, if I don't have Travis, then like, okay, it's. I'm not infringing on our thing. Right. Yeah. And yeah. it just feels so aggressive to what yeah. he, to how he did that you know um it is like a great there's like seven or eight great songs the last one he never wrote vocals for it's just got bells instead of vocals for some reason there is an issue where they just completely stole the opening bass riff to you've got so far to go by alkaline trio for the song with <laughs> tim armstrong um i forget the name of it off the top of my head but it's just like it's like it's like uh the way that Vanilla Ice was like, no, mine's way different. Mine goes dun 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 dun. Itty bitty Chang, that itty bitty Chang. Like it's it's like this doesn't even have that. It's like you just stole that. Like where like where did that come from? And it being 2002, there was never really an explanation. But yeah, Boxcar, very big for me. But again, I'm a Tom guy. Yeah. Well, also, I mean, R.I.P. Avalon. I have very good memories of of the Avalon and the Axis, and now it's all House of Blues. So. When I should know this, this shows that I didn't do my research. When was wow shocker? Oh fuck off! Get get <laughs> put in the put in the work. Um, what year was that transplants record? Was that post breakup? No, it was that around was, the same time. No, like, it's the same time. Oh, perfect segue. Cause because you mentioned Tim Armstrong, so I was trying to think of. That. So no, that because that transplants record. The so let me quickly backtrack. So obviously, Boxcar Racer comes out. Yeah. Oh two, and then they head back into the studio in oh three. And you know what? Good timing here, Michael. I don't know how far you got into our Limp Biscuit episode, but pretty on, far, but on farther that, than you'd probably want me to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but on that Limp Biscuit episode, I talk about this MTV show album launch, um, which shows the uh, Limp Biscuit recording, you know, their terrible, you know, 2003 album or whatever. They also have an album launch episode for uh, self titled. For Blink, and I got to watch that too. It's not an hour and forty minutes like the Limp Biscuit one. It's like forty minutes. <laughs> like a feature length documentary. There are no Limp Biscuit. Yeah, no, no, they're certainly not. And Cat Life Thief, by the way, was the song. I just it would have bothered me if I didn't say it. Got it. The ripoff. Thief, it's called. Cat like thief. Cat like thief. Yes, yes. Actually, I listened to that like earlier this week. Um, but yeah, so they do this whole album launch documentary, but it's great because I was going to say this is easily my favorite Blink One Eighty Two album. Now this self-titled record, I the other ones were fun and you know there are things I like about it and things that'll never age well for me. This one just straight up I really like. Now. Yeah, yeah. And I never really got to engage with it. I, I was gonna say this is the only one when it came out where I like actually I think I sat down and listened to the whole thing in 2003 as an 18 year old and like was into it for a little bit, but it never really stuck. I don't yeah. didn't really remember most of it except for like miss you and feeling this. Yeah. So re-listening to it now though, I was like, wait. I really, really like this record um, in a way that like, I will listen to it now again and probably still be into it. There's this track on there, the second to last one called Here's Your Letter. So good. So good. And like reminds me of like, I don't know, the stuff I was so into in like 2010. Like 
you know, like what Lemuria or, right, um, right. you know, that very like uh, melodic pop punk sound with an incredible warm guitar under it. Like we said, I'm a Mark guy. Like I love Mark's verses on that. Yeah. Like man. that song's muscular in a way. Right. That yeah. they aren't normally. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It yeah. hits. And well, that, that record in general is just more, uh, I don't know, powerful. Well, I was going to say. And it just hits differently. There's this quote yeah. in the album watch episode from Mark. He says, this is like one of the first things on the episode and I thought it was great because he says this like day one of recording this record he says quote I want this record to take what people think Blink-182 is and completely destroy that or rebuild it into something really different than it's ever been I want people to put this record on and go wait that's Blink-182 I mean and like they, they had <laughs> yeah exactly Mike like they had that intention yeah. And he felt they did it. You Understood know what I mean? the assignment. Yeah, they really. And like, like, oh man, there's like no Blink 182 songs on that album. I would say, and that to a lot of people, I guess, turned them off. But I was like, so, and that's why the breakup was devastating. Because I'm like, man, imagine what the next album would have been in like '05. Yeah. But maybe you can't really. I mean, you can tell when we get to this clip, they were barely hanging on as a band at that point. But <laughs> yeah. to pull yeah. this off, given all of that, is incredible. Because like, I don't know, like just the guitar in this album is just sort of raw and like thrashing and like Tom's voice hits, hits like levels of like anxiety and volume that I don't know that he had ever hit before, like uh Stockholm syndrome. Yep. Like there's so many songs that are just so different. There's no real similar. And then what is now like their biggest song. I miss you is the least blink 182 song they've ever made. Yep, yep. totally. And I, I was going to ask too, like I, I just think the way that they went about recording this and you watching this documentary they are, I mean, it's like a nine-month process, and it just, Ooh, it's just... It's a long time. It's a really long time. <laughs> yeah. They're in this house recording. Jerry Finn is back helping them record, and he's producing most of it. And it just showed sort of like their maniacal dedication to recording and like being creative in this moment. It's like the first time they have a chance to just sit and record for nine months and be creative and be intentional. It was just really impressive, you know, and like the, the, and the results are there in that, in that record, you yeah. know? Well, it's also, it really, and I'm not like, super well-known I mean, excuse me you are you are famous i'm not famously alex beaton i don't know a whole ton about boxcar racer um mm-hmm. but i know that this really carries that idea right like the emo mm-hmm. right it's emo blink this is what showed up was emo blink and i think there are a lot of like people who were young, at the right age in that moment when i miss you was really big and emo was starting to be really big like this is just before my chemical romance um just before emo hit it big yeah right before fall out boy becomes the biggest yes and i think and i think this was has a lot to do with that because like Mm. blink kind of enters into that emo thing with this record right they were also clearly uh as we'll see in the video in a bit of a cure binge um (laughs) very much it felt like mark wanted to be the cure yeah well robert smith is on the record yeah that that would be a good tell that they were really into the cure at the time um but guitar also, tones I think, yeah yeah and there was also like the early days of angels and airwaves with like asthenia where you have a space themed thing and like little bleeps and bloops start to get in and right you could tell that there was some different creative directions that were going to be taken but yeah the fact and, that they combined guess, enough for this it's incredible totally and I, the last thing we'll say before we start this clip in may 27th 2004 they're doing down on letterman which is not that big of a hit, obviously, compared to Miss You, but I think this performance is very interesting for multiple reasons. Yep. But I was going to say to Michael's point in both and your point, Alex, around like Boxcar Racer and this moving in, Boxcar Racer moving into this nine month recording process that they do. And Michael saying, oh, man, I wish, you know, what would it have been like on the next record? What would that progression have been like? I wonder if like this is like just the sweetest spot moment for this to ever occur. 
That's what I think. Probably. Like Tom is in this moment of like I just did something like Boxcar Racer that actually kind of works, and it's getting to this Fugazi. They keep referencing Fugazi and Refuse, which is like okay, <laughs> all right, <laughs> like, calm down a little bit, Tom. Sure, <laughs> yeah. uh, but like any, that's yeah, you know, what he's listening to and sure, sure, sure. And Mark comes in feeling this competition with Tom. Yeah. And they come in in that sort of dynamic of like very intense recording together, just the three of them. There's no other people besides Jerry. And like, I guess, I don't know if they ever could have done this again. It never, it would have gone too far in one direction or, yeah. you know, and like we'll see, we'll talk about very briefly, we'll talk about neighborhoods, but neighborhoods is nothing like this, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I just, I just wonder if they ever could have pulled this off again, if they did stay together or what it would have been. It would never have been like this. It was just yeah. a perfect moment in time, you know? And Absolutely. Travis gets his own song. His yeah. little friggin' beat song. Um, <laughs> all right, let's start. Right? Which let's, is like... Let's start. Dun, dun, I'll start playing dun, dun, the click. Um, <laughs> so yeah, they're doing Down, which is the third single. Our next guests are a terrific rock and roll band who have sold over a 10 to million albums. And here is a copy of their current CD. Please welcome back Blink-182. Yeah! Right, yeah, because it's feeling this, I miss you, and then down. And this is a good while after um, the album's been out. It's probably been out for nine months at this point, right? And for a while, uh, because it's May 27th. I think it came out like October 03 or something. So I saw them on this tour with No Doubt in 04. Oh, Um, uh, the height of uh, like the Hey Baby Hey No Doubt probably, right? Yeah, I think. I forget the No Doubt. I mean, they were good, but I was obviously there for Blink. Yeah, how was it? Oh, it was great. Um, do you think Travis is bald, by the way? I was watching something. Like, he looks so much cooler with hair. And like the baldness <laughs> snuck up on me. He was just bald one day and never grew it back. Do you think he's, he's naturally bald? I mean, well, he has the mohawk, right? That's a good question. Well, yeah, the mohawk was... can work in, in pattern baldness, sort of. I guess. Yeah, Not really. Actually, it wouldn't and... connect. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're all in our late 30s now, so we're going to have to start. Maybe we're all going to just... throw mohawks to protect Anyways, our male shit, is that, the, is that yeah. the thing that i need to that's figure our out? move that's all our move i don't know michael if <laughs> i stress about this yeah. a lot Alex and i already have our bald spots coming in so um i'm okay for now but it's a matter okay. of time yeah. um, shit have i just I, do i just need a mohawk yeah you need a mohawk. or whatever mark's doing in this the, oh my God. The, i can't look i can't look at his, his let's head. give michael the honor to describe what mark hoppus looks like in this clip how would I you think describe it's more it? like i don't know agave plant or a cactus something there's just there's just Sort yeah. of spears flying every which way, but with purple highlights. Fine. Is it the lights or I the think hair? it's the lights? Okay, so yeah. okay, he doesn't have any purple dye in his hair. It's just the lights. Okay. There's just some sort of like anti gravity thing happening, <laughs> where well, I'm like, and, what and, kind of product is yeah. going on that this that it's your impressive. hair does this? And Tom now full on emo hair swoop. Mode. He's got the classic swoop. Yeah, the classic. Um, eye. It's covering the right eye. Right yeah. eye swoop. Yep. <laughs> but this performance, I watched, and I watched three individuals doing their own thing. Like there is no cohesiveness. Yes. It's like screw that guy, screw that guy. I'm doing this, and like Travis is in his own world, Mark's in his own world, Tom is especially in his own world. We'll get to a random offbeat drum solo. The end of this song point. is so strange from Travis. For like national TV, it's bizarre. Yeah, um, it's Mark seems sort of checked out singing the down. Like I don't know, maybe I'm maybe I'm reading into it, but they just seem like they're barely together no i think i don't think i think it's fair i mean i think it still sounds okay yeah. i think it still sounds pretty good the one thing i wanted to note about travis especially worth noting this is insane. i didn't notice it until you mentioned this it is to insane me. and now so, i watch and now i watched it this morning and was like whoa so he must have hurt his right foot or ankle. he broke his ankle he broke his ankle on this oh, tour yeah. and so he has a double kick set up but he's, he's just playing foot. the kick on the left foot. His right foot's doing nothing. He's playing the dominant thing he would do normally on his right foot yeah. on the left foot, which is insane. I don't know any yeah. non-drummers out there. It is 
impossible to do that. Which is mentally. why he has which is why he has the closed hi hat to the right. Right. Because he can't use his left foot to close it. So he's playing the right foot bass drum patterns with his left foot. It just I could not when I was watching that I was like, holy shit. Which that, is why that he takes screwed, a level of talent and he like screws up the first fill. He screws up the first fill. Yeah. Yeah. And he still, wouldn't do that with his right foot. But still, it is fucking I didn't crazy. even notice that. You it's can fucking just, crazy. You can clearly see it, yeah. Um, but I talk, do that when I drive. I'm pretty good when I drive with my left foot bass drum, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't really but, do that on the kit. As Michael referenced in this clip's wrapping up, we talked over what just happened. But the outro to this song, Tom is doing the normal outro and doing the little pick outro thing. And Travis just does this like blast beat over it. Well, it's a solo, yeah. But what? why is he doing that? It's totally out of time. It feels completely... Fucked up and weird, and yeah. like it's what they do. Like it's live. not on the record, right? Like no, it's what yeah. they do on the like live, and he'll be on a pedestal, like flipping around, or it'll be on fire, and then he'll yeah. just take off for ten minutes to do it on Letterman. It's a wild choice, but yeah. I don't know. They weren't really. They didn't especially really, they when care much about much. So which yeah, apparently it's also he wasn't at his best, right? So <laughs> he was good enough to play this dominant bass drum kick on his left foot. So yeah. I will say like for, I like, I love Travis. I know it's not cool in the drumming community. Cause like he like flips his sticks and does a bunch of stupid stuff that have nothing. Well, to yeah. Drumming. Like Alex said the marching band vibe. Yeah. yeah. But well, like that's where he comes shy. from. Yeah. But like, I actually worry like the, the damage he does to his body and like just plays through. Like I remember that tour it was like, he'd be on camera and be like, look, and they'd just be bleeding and he'd have like, <laughs> He would, the doctors would be like, you can't play drums. It's like, yeah, I can. It's like, you can't. Like, you have a broken foot. You have, like, ripped skin on your hands. He broke something recording the new album last year. Like, he's 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 physically taken a beating back then. Well, and I so. think this is the point, too, where he starts having, like, a painkiller problem. Uh, and, like, I think he's on a lot of oxy probably to get through shit like that. And right. then... I think at certain points he, you know, I think he's, he's sober now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but I think he did have like a painkiller thing, like starting right around now right. to point to Mike's point of being hurt like all the time. Yeah. You know? So I mentioned, I asked you guys as the experts earlier of watching all these clips, do you get drum solos very often on Letterman and Leno? No. No. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> it, that was such a strange choice. God. Um, okay. Um, anything else on this record before we get to hiatus talk? For a long time, the song Go was the only Blink-182 song that I listened to. Hello, I, that song rules. That's uh, a Blink song. I should correct. That's definitely a Blink song. I said there were no Blink songs on that album. I don't know if it album. is, yeah. though. Well, the ver- the ver- like Mark's verse is pretty, you know. To me, that's the they pulled off serious pop punk better than they ever did Yeah. on that song. Yeah. I would say like the Mark vocals yes. went back to what I like the damn it in 97. And they like, left distortion on. Like he, yeah. like he, that I don't want to know. I don't, he yeah. sings that part and you can hear distortion. And I'm like, oh, nice. Like yeah. that's a good move. Yeah. That little yeah. breakdown where it's just the vocals and the yeah, chorus. And it just sounds again. ragged. Yeah. 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 The part is sick. Um, okay. So February 2005, they break up. And the public story is basically that Tom wanted to take six months off and the band wouldn't accept that. But there's all this conflicting stuff about who broke up and why. And then, you know, then Tom starts Angels and Airwaves. Mark starts Plus 44. And I guess we got to give Michael a little pedestal here to talk about and defend Angels and Airwaves. So I'm going to I'm going to give you the floor, hmm. Mike. To talk about spot your... for me. <laughs> um, so now you get a, You get a type five. All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah um, go ahead. Let me just say. All right. I'm 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 looking it up to get the the track list because I thought the first album was pretty good. Like it not amazing. Uh, what was it called? We don't need a whisper. There was definitely elements that didn't work, but I think a Adam Willard is incredible. So yep, he yes. helped bring a level like the adventure. I think is a very 
cool concept of what Tom DeLonge envisioned with that. There's zooms and beeps and bloops and all that stuff. But um, The War, I think, is a very good drum-driven sort of like marching band song. Um, there's some songs that aren't so good, but I got into that one. And then I never really... The second one, I Empire, they stole Tom plagiarized himself uh, with Anthem Part 2 yeah. on uh, Everything's Magic. Oops. Uh, which was... <laughs> did he forget? Like, I, I always wondered, like, you, you are playing Anthem Part 2, Tom. It was a pretty big song. Um, there's a few, like, Secret Crowds, I think, on I, I, I Empire. Very good song. Um, it's I have a little a, cheesy. I mean, you're proving that you're an actual fan. I'll say that. So, my, interesting for me is the direction is strange. I You know, after that last... Well, maybe I shouldn't say that. But it t- seems to me like he kind of leaned into like Blink 180U2 or something. Yes. Well, um, the way Travis described it, if the breakup was like, Tom wanted us to become Coldplay and like we're Blink 182. It's like, I don't know, man. It could have worked. I mean, the self titled worked pretty good with all those different directions. But um, I will say this about Angels and Airwaves. So those first two albums, I owned the first one. I had some songs from the second one. Then I kind of tuned out for like a long time. And then in 2021, they released like a new wave record. <laughs> With like all like, like a lot keyboard of like and synth, keys and synth, yeah, yeah, and it was pretty cool. And so I bought tickets to see them at the House of Blues in October of 2021, and like they put on a great show. It's uh, Matthew Rubano from Taking Back Sundays, the bassist. Oh. Um, the other guitarist has been there. He was the boxcar racer guitarist. I forget his name. And Elon Rubin, who I mentioned, was the drummer, who's like incredible. Like I didn't know much about him. And he just put on and like. Why do I know they, his name? What is he from? Is he Nine Inch Nails? Oh, um, and some other stuff. He also does solo stuff, uh, like all instruments and whatnot. So he's a pretty talented guy. Yeah. But they played like an arena sound in the House of Blues. It was the loudest concert I've ever been to. It was packed. So like Tom still has that drawing power, even though they hadn't had a, a hit in twenty years, if yeah. you want to call it, if they ever had one. Um. So yeah, I, I definitely tuned out. Let's see, one, two three albums there in the mid 2000s that's yeah. the thing I mean, well so we have to talk about very quickly the fact that all the, he gets into like we're not a band we're a multimedia project and he right. like scores and produces movies where the records are the score to these indie movies and right. like sci-fi movies about you know we'll talk about all his alien shit um and yeah it just becomes i guess i don't want to talk about it a ton anymore i just this is where it becomes like tom is just such a pretentious douche something you know what i mean like yeah. i can't get over he's just so pretentious we're gonna be the biggest band in the world we're gonna do the biggest thing we're gonna save the world through angels and airwaves it's like dude you shut the fuck up for well, five it's like, minutes it's like find the middle ground man like and it's just like it's how did like, mark and travis survive being around this i understand you know what i mean like we need five years off from tom come back five years off from tom come back it's well, just he's so much like, to me it's, it's 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 interesting to me that there's these two speeds that he seems to have which is i want to fuck your dog to like, yep. I am uh, exploring space and like pushing humanity into a new direction. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Which is like, what? Why is there no middle ground? I mean, Do you is know there any Venn diagram of that? I mean. <laughs> what's funny about that? I saw them, uh, Angels and Airwaves, open for Taking Back Sunday on the Louder Now tour. Yeah. Uh, so that was like 06. Yeah. Um, and Tom was doing his thing and was. Play, and then he was like, you know, people are like, oh, do you still goof around? And then he dropped like a 
banging your dad joke and everyone's like ha 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 and it's like he's back baby it's like <laughs> still, okay man <laughs> still Tom um alright let's just we great show to, by the way great concert no I mean it is I'm glad we actually brought on like the other Angels and Airwaves super fan on, onto the, the show the one the one guy the one if that's a super fan that doesn't bode well for well, them but I, yeah. I definitely no I mean I want to give them their credit they're still you look at their Spotify plays and records I mean they're, they're Tom had still been popular doing this yeah. music also and, Adam Willard is now an Alkaline Trio Yes, All I love like that. <laughs> well, not to totally things, but it, it is related to this. I don't know if you ever read Laura Jane Grace's book. Um, I did not. And so Against Me toured with Blink, and I can't remember when it was, but what? she was like all excited, like, oh, we get to tour with Blink. And it was like they all had their own separate dressing rooms. They didn't interact with each other. Yeah. Yeah. They went out and did sound checks. So like, I think that down performance is pretty indicative of that era. I don't know if that's when Against Me toured with them. But it seems very Must much like I don't know. I bet you it probably was actually around neighborhoods. I'm gonna Google it while you. Uh... It was probably right towards the tail end of Against Me putting out new music, which is like the early 2010s. You're right. It was 2011. Yeah, with Rancid too. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Good. Good tour. Shit. Jeez, that's a weird tour. Actually, I mean, it's fun. Yeah. It's I fun. think they played in Worcester at the uh, DCU Center. If I'm not mistaken, I didn't go. I, huh. I would have gone to that. Um, all right. Very quickly. So two big things that bring them back together after their breakup. Jerry Finn dies, tragically, of a cerebral hemorrhage in 09, just randomly, super young, dies. And then, obviously, Travis's plane crash. Right. And Travis almost dies in this freak plane crash that never gets off the ground. Did you read the actual description? I never realized. It's fucked up. It is. The way that plane crashed is, it never gets off the ground, and they lose, like, brake control, and it's going, like, 160 miles per hour, and it goes off the runway across the highway into a ditch and then, like, sets on fire, basically. Right. And he had horrible burns. DJ AM dies. Yeah, like a year Who's... later. Uh, no, he died. Yeah. He died. He, like, no, the, di- yeah. Yeah, the pilot, I think, died. Okay. DJ AM survived, but I think had but they, drug yeah. after that. They all, they all kind of, I mean, it sounds like they both had serious PTSD from it. I mean, right? Travis just is starting to fly again. Right. Like, he very rarely flies. I think he posted recently because he's a Kardashian now. Like, oh, love my wife. We're flying. I've flown six times this year, which mm-hmm. is, like... Yeah, think about how long that's been, and to be a, a a world famous musician not flying. Like I remember, I don't know if you watched the Firefest documentary. I forget which one. He was so pumped when it got canceled because he would have had to fly to the Bahamas, <laughs> and he was not into it. So yeah, um, but so yeah, they come back together after those, and they record this 2011 record, Neighborhoods, which we don't have a clip from, and I don't think we have to have to talk a ton about this record. I listened to it a little bit. Defenders I, here, though. The yeah, I here. mean. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, we have to get, right, get another type. We got to do the last uh, clip, and then we have to play our stupid little fucking game to end the episode. So I don't we'll want to keep like it a here. tight one. I don't want to do a tight one. Fine, so Mike, this, Mike. Tell us about neighborhoods. Tell us about neighborhoods. Speaking of where they were at, they recorded this separately. They were all in different parts of California, and they right. Were that was the other thing parts. I wanted to talk about. The way they describe recording this record, <laughs> it's hell on earth. Like, it's one just song like they're never called... in the studio together. They're not yeah. talking to one another. Tom is emailing a guitar part to his manager. The manager is emailing the guitar part to Mark's manager what? mark's manager is emailing that to tom yes. uh, to, you know to mark he, it just sounds like an absolute fucking nightmare recording one of the record. songs is called mh 418 2011 it's just the file name of his little idea <laughs> <laughs> so i would say like the second half of this album is but but they came up with like like i think ghost on the dance floor works in that like sort of self-titled way i think up all night has a good chorus like it's catchy after midnight i think has like dynamic Travis performance. They actually played that on a late night show, I'm pretty sure. And that's when I first, like, I was like, 
not tuned into Blink-182 in 2011. Right. I'm like, oh, damn, Travis is still doing mm-hmm. it. I'll get this album. Well, I'll download it illegally. And then they have sure. a couple songs, and then like the, the second half of that album definitely falls off. But they, they put together like enough for an EP. They just stretched it to a full album. Right, right. right. And they go, yeah, they go on tour. They're on tour for three years. They don't break up again until 2015, I yes. think. I was right? at Super Bowl 49, the Patriots Seahawks, walking down the street in Phoenix, and they were like, Tom didn't show up to the show. Blink one eighty two is canceled. I was like, ah. Were they gonna run. play the Super Bowl? No, no, no. Just that time. Oh, so oh, it was oh, like oh, February oh. of twenty fifteen. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I mean just know. all this stuff about everything was Travis says everything was very contentious. There was always just a strange vibe. Um he said in his memoir that DeLong's behavior on tour was quote unquote introverted until money started coming in, after which he'd get excited about Blink. Um and that DeLong just like abruptly quits multiple times throughout this era. And then finally he's just out in, in 2015. Um, and this is when we get to talk about Mike's favorite era of, of the band. Um, Skiba 182. Skiba 182. Um, so I guess, you know, the, I, I obviously Mark and him must've had a pretty close relationship in the two thousands. They probably just talked about playing music together. Maybe they talked about it the first time Tom quits. Like, I don't know the exact. Right. Backstory there. But there's a lot of overlaps here in what we've been saying. Like Jerry Finn produced Crimson. Crimson. Yeah. Um, and then the Adam Willard. I don't know. There's just a bunch of like connections. Yeah, they come out with California, it's called in First of all, I think I think a weird choice for as, well, as a diehard Alkaline Trio fan. Uh yeah. wait, wait, the the single or the album? Just the the, the performer. Yeah, him. Mm-hmm. Matt's good like, being in the band. There is like his whole thing by like oh four oh five, and I'm I was a huge Alkaline Trio, and but when I say that it's like ninety seven to oh five ish Alkaline Trio, is like right. he became this like brooding, dark, yes. low, mysterious. I'm singing about death. Right. So to like replace Tom was always weird, and then just like vocal range wise, totally kind different. of Link's whole thing was like this high twangy, like obnoxious right. screamer, balanced by Mark's sort of like baseline flatness. To have two of them, like when this single came out, I didn't even know Skiba sang in it. Because they sound so much like Mark, you mean? Yeah, I yeah. thought it was just a Mark. I mean, I wasn't listening super closely, but I just assumed yeah. it was Mark the whole time. So we're watching November 7, 2016, Bored to Death on Colbert. Our first Colbert clip, I think, maybe? Any For jokes? these dudes, yeah. We have, well, I mean, and, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, so this single is actually, I was like looking up the stats, I was like, this is a huge single? Yeah, like this is like a big, one of the biggest hits of their career. Is that right? Arguably? Well, probably on Spotify because of the time. Like it was released during the yeah. Spotify era, so it's yeah. going to have higher plays. But, but even but, I think even with that caveat, like really? this album debuts number one on Billboard. Yeah. Like people were yearning for some new Blink One Eighty Two. Well, I was going to say this is an interesting time though too, right? Because what did it take to be number one in two thousand sixteen? Like, like nothing. Yeah, right. big week of streaming. Right. You no know, forty forty year olds buying CDs. Yeah, probably. Um, one thing about this performance, like the, Mark's first voice, he's trying so hard. He's he, like, this has to work. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I mean, I wrote. I mean, he clearly took some singing lessons. Like, oh, it's totally. It's totally like a different level of professionalism he's singing from his his like vocal gut. In the <laughs> they call that a way. diaphragm. Yeah. Even Still, no, vocal vocal guy. A vocal guy. He, tr- he tries to hit that and I before, and it just completely cracks. And it's like, well, you made it the whole verse. Like credit to you. Like you almost made it to the chorus. But so I will. The interesting choice about picking Matt Skiba to be the replacement um, is he is another singer who is unpredictable live. Like it could be yeah. great, could really suck. Mm-hmm. Um, Have you seen Alkaline Trio live before? Multiple times. Oh, okay. Yeah. You ever like you know the song "Help Me" off of Agony and Irony? 
uh, the first song. They have two good Sword. songs on that album. Yeah, it's, I was gonna say only uh, agony. It and starts with, I can't sing, but it starts like here you'll find me in Betray, and he hits this high note on the. And it's this great song. Yeah. I saw them live right after that, and it was like, oh my god, like he can't even come close. To can't even come close. This is the thing. It's, yeah. it's unfortunate, right? Because he writes really good songs, and I like yeah. his voice when his voice does what he wants it to do, but it usually does not. Yeah. Um, but I think in this performance, they sound great. I think his voice sounds really good in this. It's, um. I, I did like we'll get to it mm. when you record those woes in the studio you never think about standing on stage at Colbert's just singing whoa for like two and a half oh my god <laughs> I, I thought the same thing with the chorus of na 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 yeah. it's like oh I feel well, like that was fucking thing, stupid thing about, right now well like those the thing about like rock show which you know whatever you think about rock show they have a bridge it's very quick they go right back into the chorus we are moving mm. along on the song we right. are like a catchy fast paced band that is going to play this song and this is just like drawn out yes. typical sort of pop style of we're going to overstay our welcome and like really dig into this to the point where Michael's saying I'm standing on stage doing whoa, whoa, whoa for 90 <laughs> seconds or whatever like, you know it's a little it's a little rough it's very generic hard rock to me yes yeah yes. they also what bothered me too is like the music video for this they're like in a high school and it's like guys you're like 40 something like <laughs> you're not in high school I don't know what we're still doing here it just felt like I don't know I it felt like they should have just had a different name and not been called Blink-182. I totally agree. Me. I think I maybe said that to John already. Like, they, sh- they should not have been... they would have made less been, money. This sh- would... Exactly. But that's they, why it feels like a cash grab, though. Yeah, it does. It does it. This should not be Blink-182. That's all. Like, Mark and Travis should be allowed to make music together. Yes. It's just to put the Blink label on it. Right. It doesn't, doesn't feel right. No, it's, well, this is the thing. I sent a video to Alex of... Um, them doing a first date in 2019. Wow. Oh, it is, is tough. It is so rough, dude. It is it is not good. <laughs> it is like shouldn't have done Tom songs. I never understood that either. Like No, yeah, he just just do Mark songs and new songs. Yeah, Matt is just straight up singing Tom lead songs. And it is bad. Yeah. It is like and like like the other options like they could have got someone from like a cover band who like emulates Tom, which would have been brutal too. So, <laughs> I understand not wanting to do that or like I was afraid they were going to get Machine Gun Kelly to replace Skiba, like if Blonde came back, which would have been like, <laughs> that okay, been, that now been we've good. blown it up. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, I think we, so basically that record comes out. They have another one in 2019. I want to, let's really test Michael's super fandom here. Were you into nine? No, I, I didn't, I didn't get into any of that, but okay. I will say when Mark was dealing with cancer and I was like watching all his live streams and stuff, I definitely softened and took less. I would say like, I was like kind of a bitch. <laughs> about about new Blink One Eight Two, like this isn't Blink. I won't listen to it. Right. But I got into a couple songs. I would say, but like Nine was definitely what's like. Uh, let me see. Dark Side isn't bad. I really wish I hated you isn't bad. Uh, and maybe I think Travis has a good song like Pin the Grenader. Like they they definitely were like Travis, do some crazy stuff here, and we'll make a whole <laughs> album out of it. So. No, definitely wasn't into that. Yeah, I mean, I think I listened to like two songs. And I was like, yeah, I'm good. Oh, you know what? Uh, just to hop back to that last clip. Yeah. Am I insane for thinking life's too short to last long is a terrible fucking lyric? <laughs> That's the chorus of that song. Yeah. It's life's, faux intellectual, probably. Life, life's too short to last long. That's redundant, right? Uh, it's redundant. If yeah. it's too short, of course it doesn't last long. Yeah. What a fucking dumb lyric. It doesn't mean anything. That's a chorus. Well, to death. Yeah. It's also like, <laughs> it's also like uh, what should we write a song about? Like, Well, Billy Joe Armstrong wrote a song about being bored once in like 1993, and it really blew up. Maybe we could try that. It's like, well, it's been done. Yeah. It does, You're old. Like, it, you have kids. It's nonsense. You're not that bored. It's just nonsense. Yeah. I'm never um, bored So, very quickly, you know, they come back together. It's all, you might reference Mike, uh, Hoppus gets lymphoma? 
um, he has cancer, and it seems like it was great. It seemed like it cleared up rather quickly for such. It was an, like stage four too. An aggressive it form. Bad. Of, yeah, and it, it seems like he says that he's cancer free now, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and they come back together. They have a new single out called Edging. Anyone? Well, listen, they also anyone dismiss listen? Skiba with like. Oh, we should talk about that very unceremoniously. No, no, describe very quickly. Yes. Describe what happens there. Like it's they just they literally one morning last what what month was that? I don't even know. Like October. Yeah. They're just like we're back. Yeah. Skiba was like Matt. You're gone. Hey, what? <laughs> <laughs> Did I miss the the voicemail? Like what do we? What happened? Yeah. You know, it was pretty fucked up and unsafe. But think about how much money Skiba made in that four year stretch. Yeah, I don't feel bad for him necessarily, but it's yeah. also you were in a band together for six years. You put out two records. Maybe have a little more tack than that. He you had he, a Vegas he, residency. He really <laughs> <they> actually <laughs> he hailed it. I mean, he handled it. Um, as classy as you could. Yeah. Where he was just like, yeah, it sucks, but, you know, thanks for the ride. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he would have been in his, within his right to be like, what the fuck? That was pretty shitty. Yeah. I did some time for you guys, you know, and you put me in a tough spot where I had to sing these songs. Right. Something interesting about that period, too, is Tom had done some interviews and was like, people think I'm like mad or whatever, but he's like, I'm still part of the band. And like, he, he like still had some ownership i don't know if he was collecting royalties on any mm. money they made on the that maybe that's why they were able to well, stay blink 182 i don't know how yeah, that or why they were playing tom songs on tour that was know? just a bad decision like i would did never, you see them like, on that tour or no no okay. no no okay. okay come on well, I, I didn't i didn't know you like you said you're you had your steadfast opposition to skiba 182 so yeah no i wouldn't i wouldn't do that i did see angels and airwaves as i noted so so how was we priority. have to ask you about the show last so it was this past summer may. right yeah, yeah. May. so you were at it was at the garden right yep so it was uh, awesome yeah they sounded good and i don't know if you guys watched like when they made their comeback i don't i don't know my festivals was it bonnaroo or was it uh i think it was coachella yeah and i was like they sound pretty tight because like because when they were back in that 2011 period tom was like i don't know if he was drunk or like didn't care but like he was so sloppy like even more than tom mm. and they like they weren't but they were tight um they were fun I couldn't hear most of the banter. I was on the floor. I don't know if that's... I don't really go to many TD Garden concerts. Yeah, I think I've ever been I never one. have, yeah. yeah. I saw the Avid Brothers there once. I think that was my only other uh, TD Garden concert. Wow. <laughs> um, so not often bands I like play such large venues. So like they would banter and like you could kind of hear it and everyone would laugh. I'm like, I can't hear a thing. Like I don't know. Hmm. But you know they played the hits. I was nervous because they released Edging and I'm like, oh, they're going to play like six new songs, but that was their only new song. So. Right. Um, yeah, they they're probably they not doing. ready to actually play the new record yet at that point, right? It's, it might not be done, for all we know. Hopefully well, there's also a big another. machine behind them where I think they can't just be like, fuck it, I'm going to play these songs, you know? Yeah, comeback tour has to be a comeback tour. Well, I guess so, yeah, the last thing I read, it was October when the new record's coming out, but I don't know if that's still on track or, yeah. or whatever. Yeah. The clips that but, I saw, no, it was a lot better. Like, yeah. they got their shit together. Yeah, it was fun. I know there's like a YouTube video. Someone analyzed if Tom was using Autotune at the uh, Coachella performance. And it's like, I don't really care. Like, <laughs> I'll be honest. Like it, it was a good show. Um, I would doubt it. I doubt it. Yeah. He's too far off to use auto tune. Cause it would be too obvious. Yeah. Well, I think <laughs> maybe know, I mean, seriously. Yeah, yeah. 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 I think auto tune is, is only passable if you're close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Otherwise it's like, what the fuck am I listening to? Yeah. But it was a fun show. I, uh, I, uh, I spent way too much money. That, that was like the cost of like 10 other shows that I would go to. But I believe was, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, that was the whole I big s- thing, right? I saw them at Suffolk Downs in 01, and I saw them at 
the Xfinity Center in like oh three oh four, and that was it. So I was like, you know what? Yeah, we can do it once. Yeah. So you're, you're one of your favorite it. bands of all time, getting back together. Fuck it, yeah. like definitely. Why not? What were the openers? tried to sneak in a GA? Uh, um, what <laughs> Turnstile. Turnstile open. Yeah, Hell they yeah. were awesome. Yeah. it's like and like talk about not being with here. I think they intentionally like we're gonna sound like shit on this tour, and like they just played like you couldn't hear any vocals. It was just a wall of sound, and like the twenty people there that like they Turnstile got, were like yeah. they got opened. Like, they got openered. Yeah. I think they did it on purpose. There was no. another opener that wasn't even on the bill. I don't know who it was. Because, I mean, I saw Turnstile in Worcester last summer, and it fucking ripped. It yeah. was so good. Yeah. Um, that sounds like a classic case of we're going to make the opener sound shitty to make the headliner sound better, which happens all the time. I remember. They I were rem- good still. I'm sure they were. I remember watching some random thing with, it was like a Turnstile video from years ago, um, and the drummer busted out. Was It was like someone was taking some iPhone video of the drummer before a show. And he played, I think it's the fill to the beginning of First Date or something. Mm. Some really hard Travis fill where he's just like... Blah, blah, blah. So it was like, oh, right. That guy in Turnstile, who's like 10 years younger than us, who's a drummer, mm. clearly Travis influenced a whole bunch of people in the pop punk world. Do you know what I mean? Like this guy clearly, who's now in Turnstile, probably the biggest current punk band, you know, and Travis is his like North Star or was. Absolutely. Um, which is interesting. Now they get to play with them. So, First Date was like a song I always loved playing. And I would do the dun, dun, dun. And then I would flip the sticks halfway. And then I go dun, dun, dun. And then I flip them back the other way and keep playing. So like not only that, but I also bought the Travis Barker sticks, which were white. They were like 5As or 5Bs painted white. And you know what happens when you hit a symbol with a, paint, a stick painted yeah, white? Just it's your covered in white. paint, covered in white paint. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what a 16-year-old never wants to do is clean his symbols. So it was like, I can't, so when they broke, I was like, thank God. Like, what, what am I doing with myself? That's, I mean, that's dedication to Travis, you know? Fuck it. It really was. It's, I'm not um, proud of it, but. All right. So I think we're going to head into the final segment here because we are keeping Michael far too long, who has a real life and a real job on a Sunday. I'm um, from it, so it's fine. <laughs> so, we're going to do a segment to wrap up the show today. Sweet. Like we do every week. Um, and I, we had to do this for a couple reasons. And, you know, full transparency, I have actually given Michael and Alex both a heads up on our segment today, which we normally do not do. But this is, you know, intensive enough where I was like, I probably shouldn't just spring this on them. It would be kind of mean. Um, but in honor of Tom, who when I texted this photo to Alex, there was a photo in Toronto Square that said, Tom was right. Alexa, play Aliens Exist. It was an ad for Amazon. And there was just like, you know, whether or not, if you've dug into the congressional testimony this week about about aliens, these dudes are kind of kooks, and I don't really think it proves that aliens exist. To be honest, they seem like kind of fucking idiots. But it was still kind of fun to follow along and have people freak out about the fact that the U.S. government has some dead aliens under the White House or some shit. And so in honor of Tom, who we all know has this obsessive thing for many, many years about aliens, including on Enemy of State, was it track two or track three? I can't track remember. three, I think. Aliens exist. Um, yeah. Aliens exist. We have Ali- was going away to college, I think. So we have Aliens Exist colon band draft is the name of our segment this week. And this is going to be the very uh, try-hard segment I put together. <laughs> aliens have arrived on Earth and properly assessed it as an immoral hellhole it is. However, it is granting it one shot at saving humanity by giving Alex and our guest Mike the ability to draft a band for musicians dead or alive that will have one hour to write one song together to convince the alien race to spare humanity. And I will get to pick which iteration of this band will be presented to the aliens, Alex or Michael. And so we'll go back and forth like a fantasy football draft. And you can draft slots 
for any of these and for any any following order for a singer, a guitarist, a bassist, drummer, and a flex spot. Flex. Oh boy. So anything you'd have two singers, you could have two guitarists, you could have two bassists, two drummers, you could have a keys guy, you could have Paul uh, Schaefer. Yeah, yeah. Well, is that your first pick? Don't don't, no. don't don't jump out ahead of me. You should take Paul. Um, and we, at the end of it, we will review the bands and we will decide who we are presenting to the alien race to to save humanity. Writing this this one song. So, Michael, as our esteemed guest today, we are going to give you the first pick in Alien Exists: Colon Band Draft. Thank you, you. I appreciate that. Who are you taking? Um, first person. When you mentioned this. I am not like a classical music aficionado by any means, mm-hmm. but I've always been a Mozart fan. Yeah. There's a lot of cheekiness. There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of spunk that comes through in the Mozart. So I'm taking Mozart number one. <laughs> I mean, um, wow. It's going to be an interest. I would, I would like to introduce Mozart to the 21st century and then just say, all right, here's some keys. Let's what's he, what's he doing in the band? He's the keyboard player. <laughs> You know, also primary um, songwriter, you know, like Spengali. yeah, like it's everything's going to start on the piano, and we can we can mm-hmm. come off of that. But there's gonna it's going to be a piano heavy band. I don't I don't okay. know how that works, but we're putting we're, with it. all right. We'll put Mozart in your flex spot. Okay, I mean Mozart's like the the Tom DeLonge of this band, if you will. Oh, all right, sorry, but you're right, we'll have Mozart play guitar then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and sing. I still think that is like Whiny. a pretty sick first pick. Um, Alex. First pick. Who are you taking for That's, your for your humanity saving? This band? one's less fun. Um, <laughs> I'm picking singer is Rick Froberg from Drive Like Jehu, Hot Snakes, Obits. R.I.P. R.I.P. He's just my favorite singer of all time, so I had to put him in there. I mean that that is a f- fair honor. Yeah, and also, I mean, I think the aliens might really dig Rick's style. He kind of looks like an alien. He does kind of look. Oh, <laughs> oh man, <laughs> it's not around to defend himself. R.I.P. Rick, we love you, uh, Michael. Who, who do you got your second pick? So this one involves sort of an embarrassing admission in that, like, I know the Beatles, obviously, like everyone knows the Beatles, mm-hmm. but not until I plugged in Beatles rock band with my kids and played the bass tracks did yeah. I really appreciate Paul McCartney. Hell yeah. And I'm like... Interesting. Yeah. I'm like, this Paul McCartney fella is quite the musician. Um, <laughs> he really is. He really um, is. <laughs> this was like... In January, I had this epiphany. So it took me a while to fully appreciate Paul McCartney, but I could see McCartney and Mozart really playing off each other amazingly well. Love that. Damn. Um, Love so that. So I'm going, they're the backbone of my band, McCartney and Mozart. Like, Dude, sorry, John like, Lennon, you've been replaced. Yo, like, I am I am loving this band. I was going to say, right. shit, I'm not, like, not going to bail on my picks, but, you know. All right, Alex, who you got after Rick? Oh, God, mine's far too, like, earthbound. Um, Paul McCartney's from Earth. No, I know, but like you know, so they say. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, drummers. I mentioned it in the episode. Mm-hmm. I gotta, I gotta give it to. Well, okay. I had Derek Grant written down, which is the guy from Akron Trio who started in Suicide mm-hmm. Machines. Fucking just inc- retired. Yeah, monster drummer. Um, and it's that between him and Mario Ruba Calbra, who is the was in Hot Snakes for Audit and Progress. Another now, Hot Snakes pick? I know. Is Hot Snakes just oh, going to be the band? I don't know. I almost <laughs> And I almost had what's-his-name and guitar, and I was like, you just built Hot Snakes, you fucking idiot. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So let's go, let's go Derek Grant. That's okay. um, really tasteful. He's a guy who doesn't overwhelm a song, but could play like Travis if he wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um much more fluid than Travis. Travis is very like angular, mm-hmm. and he is not. Um, so I, 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 Derek Grant is he the on the first one? First what? Alkaline Trio record. No, he came on in like oh 
two. I his first say. was Good Morning. Oh, okay, okay, yes. okay. okay. Um, so he's like their third drummer. Got it. Okay. But he's so smooth. He has a YouTube channel and he has drum cam videos from stage. And it's just like the the casualness that he plays some really intricate fills yeah. for punk rock is so. It's like he's playing jazz yes. for Alkaline Trio. Yes. It's very. It's very. Well, good. it's also in in the Suicide Machines. He did a lot, right? Like he he was busy. Um, and you were like, oh, this fucking drummer, right? And then I remember seeing him play with Alkaline Trio and just being like, oh, he's like barely breaking a sweat. Mm-hmm. He could fart this fucking set out right now. <laughs> like, like, you know what I mean? Like he yeah. was barely paying attention, but like it's so good, you know? Yeah. Um, All right. Um, I mean, I think you're in a little bit of trouble. Alex, yeah, no, I know I'm fucked. But, you know, we'll do maybe two more picks. We'll okay. Do, we'll do four total. I got two more. Okay. Michael, your third um, pick. We have Mozart and Paul McCartney. That's <laughs> a good ass band. It really, um, really fucking is, man. I'm gonna go Homer pick here. It'd be like if you say like name the best quarterback in the NFL and a Patriots fan was like Mac Jones. Like that's really what I'm doing here. Mm-hmm. And my vocalist is gonna be Dustin Kensery of Thrice, who mm-hmm. I would argue, and I tweeted this after I saw them last, like, because I had seen Taylor Swift like just before Thrice. And I was like, Taylor Swift, lovely, talented, like very good entertainer. Dustin Kensler should be so much more famous than Taylor <laughs> Swift. He's so much more talented. And yet there I am, like, front row every time. Because I, I, it should cost $600 to see Dustin Kensler, in my opinion. So he can give you that edgy yell. He can give you this, like, beautiful high pitch. He can sing acoustic. He could sing folk music. Mm-hmm. I like Dustin in that spot. Um, <laughs> Dustin and Mozart, I feel like, are a match. <laughs> They were born to play. Oh my god, I love it. Yeah, well, don't talk to my wife who's traveling to London to see Taylor Swift next year. Listen, she was great. Too, so. I'm not anti Taylor Swift at uh-huh. all. I just she's it, just not like, Dustin Kendrew. Yeah, life's yeah. not fair. That's really that, what it that comes is true. Down to. All right, Alex, you got anything to save your ass here with your last two picks? Well, my last one is fun, but the first okay. one I'll do uh, for guitar. I'm mm-hmm. going Greg Sage from the Wipers. The, you know, you should talk a little bit about the Wipers because I feel like they're not that well known. And Fair enough. They're one of your all-time favorite bands. Uh, yeah, maybe all-time. Yeah. Wipers, 80s, um, they came out of the scene that was like the hardcore 80s thing, but they were not that at all. Um, really interesting guitar player, super dedicated, really bizarre guy who like built his own equipment and stuff like that, recorded all his own stuff. And then once they finally like started recording their own stuff is when they really hit it. Mm. And the first three records are fucking awesome. The only tattoo I have is a Wipers tattoo. Um, yeah, and Greg Sage's guitar playing is super interesting, and it's not difficult, but it sounds really, really. He takes really simple stuff and makes it super interesting, which I is one of my favorite things. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I remember when you first introduced me to them, I was like, "Holy shit, this is something I've never really heard before," and it just rules. To yeah, and they're they're really influential in ways that are surprising. So, yeah. All right, Michael, you got one more pick. Just slam dunk this home, and we'll we'll take it to the aliens and call it a day. I'm going to go drummer, and I'm tempted to just put myself in it because I don't even think I could screw Dude, you it should up, draft yourself. I, Dude, you should draft yourself. <laughs> I'm tempted to. Um, and then I'm thinking about some of my favorite drummers. Like, like I, this is the Adam Willard podcast unofficially. Yep. I would, like, throw him in the mix. Yeah. Mark O'Connell from Taking Back Sunday, I think, is a very energetic drummer. But I don't want that energy, I think, with Mozart and McCartney. No, I don't think you do. Yeah, you need someone to take a step, seat back a little bit. You so know? the perfect drummer for that is obviously Chad Smith. Um, wow. Who, uh, who again... <laughs> I didn't appreciate until I was playing music with someone like a year and we put together songs and I forget which Chili Pepper song we were going to play. And it's like, there's, you talk about wallpaper. There's some Chili Pepper songs from like California Cation. We're like, mm-hmm. I never even like listened to it. And I'm like, 
the drums rule in this song. Like I never even thought twice about it. And I'm like, this is spectacular. So I think imagine him with like a little offbeat, just a basic, like you wouldn't even notice it. And you're like, damn, he's really bringing the best out of Mozart and McCartney here. Um, <laughs> so as long as Dustin can also play guitar, I think I've got a nice little four piece, there, uh, three piece. Speaking of uh, bands that I would play, or drummers I would play along to four in piece. my teenage Sorry, I years. Couldn't, I couldn't count. Me, you I, got four. Three, you got four. four. Mozart, we got Sorry. Mozart on guitar. Where Mozart's playing guitar slash keys, <laughs> yeah. depending he's on song. Yeah, he's right. like off stage manipulating tape but or something. No, like. I, would li- I would play along to uh, Blood Sugar Sex Magic like all the time. Um, that was like a really big drummer i would mimic in my yeah. teenage years was was chad so um I, I love it i think it would serve the song well i also thought of dave grohl but that would just be a, a play at like fame yeah. have you ever seen the clip i recently read his book when he filled in for tom petty and the heartbreakers on snl and they played honeybee and like the way he comes in on honeybee it's just like the opposite of serving a song it's just <laughs> like he's playing smells like teen spirit behind it's it's unbelievable to watch what year was that it night. was right after Nirvana obviously ended. When okay, Kurt so died. it was like mid to late nineties, probably ninety five. Like the, okay. the drummer of the Heartbreakers left, so he comes in and he's got his his ride cymbals like fifteen feet high, yeah. and he comes in like with the snare just. Shit. We keep... and then he's just riding up here like like <laughs> right. animal. This like... is him before he became the guy who performs at every Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert. You know, this is if it's right after Nirvana, it's when he's yeah. still fucking slamming everything. You know, yeah, he's like twenty five. All like, go and no energy. slow. Yeah. yeah. Well, exactly. we keep talking about at some point doing like a grab bag episode where we like can't do all, a whole band, but we can do clips out, and we might have to like add that one to the, yeah. the mix. It's only a short wild. clip. Yeah. Only, all I could find was a short clip on YouTube because I read the book and I'm like, I got to see this. And it's like, he undersold how much how much he played that song. So <laughs> Chad Smith is my choice. I, I love it. All right, Alex. So this is funny. As you just said that, I as you were talking, I thought about a guy who would fit well with Paul McCartney. Because yeah, you, you need a drummer, though. No, I got Derek Grant. Oh, Derek Grant, right. Sorry, my bad, my bad. So ori- originally I was going to say Dancing Guy from the Boston's. Mm, good choice. <laughs> um... Who has a name, but I just wrote Dancing Guy. He's just the boss. <laughs> um, which is fun. But then, as we were talking, I think Jay Dilla would be a really interesting wow. person to put in one of these bands. Oh, my God. Alex making a, a fight for it at the end here with Jay Dilla. As but, uh, but mostly because I think Paul McCartney, Mozart, and Jay Dilla would cook up something fucking awesome. Yeah, but, so he's not, but they're not in your band. I know. I know they're not in my band. But his good ideas have sparked good ideas in me. <laughs> You know, the rising collab. tide raises 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 all ships. You know, so all right, let's recap. <laughs> For Alex, he has Rick Froberg, guitar yep. and singing. Derek Grant on drums. Yeah, Greg Sage on guitar. So you don't have a bassist. Oh, I didn't pick a bass player. But I mean, you could have either. You Rick, could play Rick. Rick, Rick, Rick could play could bass. Figure it out. Rick yeah. could play bass. Yeah, and then Jay Dilla, producing, <laughs> DJing, whatever singing, he wants, whatever he wants to sure. do. Sure, Michael with Mozart, Paul McCartney, Dunstan Kentrew, and Chad Smith. You know, I feel a lot of pressure, obviously, trying to save humanity picking one of these. But I, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot. You know, of and I do, th- I do think Alex put up a fighting chance here with the Jay Dilla pick at Thank the you. end. Thank you. But I mean, we're going to have to give it to our guest. I Mike, agree. Michael Hurley. I agree. Just between Mozart and McCartney, yeah. I can't fight those two. He fielded a better score. We're going to present a songwriting to save humanity, and especially the quickness of which a song must be written in one hour. I guess trust McCartney and Mozart to get it done yeah. and to work with Chad and, and Dustin in a way that, you know, is appropriate. So Yeah. Like Chad, you could just present it fifty three minutes into the session yeah. and he could lay it down in seven minutes and you'd be good. And Dustin could just work in some lyrics. Yep. 
It's Un- beautiful. Unfortunately, they wrote the song, and um, the aliens have decided it wasn't good enough. So we're all fucked. We're all fucked. Understandable. Um, but it was a good try. Good job, Mike. You you Thank got you. as close as we could have done. Um, all right, that was Aliens Exist: Colon Bandraft. <laughs> Thanks for playing along. Um, good segment. And good segment. Yeah, it was a pretty solid segment. I've had worse. I've had better. Um, so we have to thank our guest, uh, Mike Hurley, today. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time. Truly. Thank you for your uh, expertise and super fandom around Blink-182. Um, is there anything you want to promote or where we can follow you online? All that good stuff. No, I just, Twitter is still the place for me. I, I have not made the threads move. I root for every new startup social media to fail only because I'm lazy and have no <laughs> motivation to start a new thing. So Twitter, Michael F. Hurley is where it's all coming from these we can days. read you on, on boston.com and uh, um, cbs cbs boston.com i'm on nbc sports boston randomly so just have that on at all times just in case <laughs> and uh yeah i'll be at patriots training camp seeing if they can be better than media i was gonna say year. i didn't get to ask you about bill o'brien's impact on mac jones development but we'll have to do that next episode it's a whole it's a whole other podcast yeah, yeah. we could do a we could do a alien draft of offensive coordinators that could help Mac. <laughs> not so not matt patricia sorry he um, might not. You know what's weird about Matt Patricia? He didn't get his job back, and no team hired him to run their offense. Isn't that so that is weird? Strange. Like he's, he's coaching defense. That's what so band bizarre. are you guys talking about? The the uh, Patriots. Oh yeah, they're this little. They do the football. Little upstart. They play a lot of. Um, Stop excluding me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they play a lot of Welcome to the Jungle at their games. So. <laughs> yes, and maybe some Enter Sandman. A lot um, of Enter Sandman. But no, Mike, it was so great to get to know you. Please come back on the show someday. Um, you are the perfect vibe for which we are looking for. So we awesome. very much appreciate your time. Thanks for doing um, that. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank, thank you. you. Um, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. You can follow us at TMGTPod at, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. You can email us at TMGTPod at gmail.com. We need to thank our TMGT theme song creator, Kenny Reichel, <laughs> um, as always, for his great theme song. Um, anything else, Alex? Yeah, we got to thank producer Hank, who's been uh, holding. We it haven't down. even mentioned producer Hank. By the way, my dog has been sitting here the whole time, Michael, and we, we call him producer Hank, and he's been doing a great job. We today. don't call him producer Hank. He is he, producer Hank. Sorry, yeah, I, I apologize. I caught that during the Limp Bizkit episode. Yes, that's right. I can't you actually listen. Oh, yeah. What? We've been doing nine hours, so who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I listened to your Limp Bizkit episode, right? And then I get a lot of, I would say, new metal memes suggested to me on instagram they shot through the roof after that so the spotify instagram yeah. like this guy loves limp biscuit i got like 80 straight fred durst memes it's like i mean uh, i, I mean to i feel like podcast. we should apologize yeah we're <laughs> some were all right some were but like you're getting like the the d level ones it's like i only want the a level fred durst memes in front of my eyes that might make sense as to why i had a mud vein video come up in my <laughs> instagram I was like why am i getting like we are this show is fucking up all these spotify algorithms for anyone bothering <laughs> to follow along Along with the show. Uh, all right, Michael, thank you again. Alex, thank you. Thank you, John. Thank you, Hank. Um, and we'll see you next time. See you, everyone. Bye.